I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Hello, listeners. We are back with another uh, fun and controversial movie. Uh, This one is not nearly going to be as bad as Pocahontas. I will say that. We are back with The Hunchback of... Now, here's a question. How do you say it? I believe we should say Notre Dame. Okay. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Unless he's playing football. The Hunchback of Notre Dame is rude. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Hunchback um, of Notre Dame, and we have a very special guest. If you've listened to our to- Toy Story episode, you know we've we were excited to have this person on um, to hear his dulcet tones grace <laughs> our our eardrums. Ladies and gentlemen, our friend John. John, say hello. Hello, everybody. Wow, my reputation precedes me. So exciting. <laughs> yes. John uh, is, is a long-term, long-time friend of Tara. Long-term. 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 Been in a long-term uh, relationship l- a, since A long-term friendship. <laughs> um, and I, when we, you were, I think, one of the first Jersey friends we met because it was when we went DC. out with I think Danny so. Kelly. Because I was oh, down yeah. in Maryland mm-hmm. when you were there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We yeah. went And we went out to a, a Mexican restaurant. And we went by the, what's the big cathedral there? Oh, kind of do we go, do we go to the cathedral? National Cathedral? Oh, yes. oh National wow. Cathedral. And we couldn't get in, so we just kind of walked oh, around. So the right. joke we went to the gardens in the back, right? We, mm-hmm. we hung out, and you can tell how much of an impact this had on me, because I remember going home and going, I want to hang out with John more. And if you <laughs> oh, know John... That. It would be a long time before we saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm a limited time only engagement sometimes, but yes. uh, but, but I um, do. and John mm-hmm. then became our spiritual advisor, which mm-hmm. also fits very mm-hmm. well into yes. this wow. film. Uh, he became our uh, officiant at our wedding. I did. Well, it was the so. it, I was the actually the that was the last wedding I've done. I haven't done one since then, and I tell a lot of folks ask me what is it like to officiate weddings. I recommend it highly it's one of the most fun things you can do for your family friends and loved ones and i always say i've done four weddings i think i got better at each one but the Mm -hmm. the one i did for you all i it was just the best time it was such an honor it was so fun and i delivered what must have been the strangest um (laughs) (laughs) like the strangest (laughs) wedding ceremony um but i thought it was very fitting for you too we kind of nerded out and talked about you know fairy tales and wizards during during my little sermon so it was perfect i loved it it was my favorite part was apparently you were working on it right up i was you were adjusting it you weren't like like yeah. writing it first draft, you yes. were like sitting there looking at it going, huh? I think I kept running notes. back to Jeremy and Kelly and sort of checking things and crossing things out. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was great fun. Well, yeah. So today, like you said, we're talking about the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Not, I screwed it up. Mm. Notre Dame. I, I think I will screw it up, which is kind of That's why fine. I said that at the beginning. <laughs> uh, do you want to hit us with a brief synopsis? Oh, yeah. I don't have that because I feel well, like we stopped doing that. So <laughs> we, I, hold on. Well, <laughs> I... I will, well, however... Well, do you want to talk about our memories with it while I pull up the synopsis? Let's do that first. Now, yeah. John, um, I was thinking, uh, w- us remembering asking you to do this, and it's very funny because 
I was thinking of it this morning and I thought, oh yeah, it was at Christmas and we were all hanging around talking and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that can't possibly be true. We started this after the pandemic. So it must have been on a... It was on a Zoom It was on a Zoom call where Mm -hmm. we... uh, That felt so homely that I just was whisked away to Mary Ellen's house and... God, that's funny though, because I kind of remember it being at a holiday too, but I guess it must have been a holiday like timed Zoom that we did. I kind of remember us sitting been, on Marianne's yeah. couch, but I guess I'm wrong too. Yeah, right? Isn't that funny? <laughs> okay. But did you did did we and I will be honest, during that time I think we were being like, you need to do our podcast. Here's a movie you should do. And I don't <laughs> remember, did we ask you to do this one or is this one you wanted to do or is this just one like, what are your memories with Hunchback? Why, why, why are you doing this today? <laughs> well, that that's a good question. Um, no, I I can't remember if we talked specifically about a movie. I remember you and Tara telling me about this project and me basically leaping out of whatever chair I was sitting in and exclaiming that I was desperate to do an episode with you because I think this is just the coolest project, coolest idea, and I don't know if it's as unique as I used to think. It, it, I mean, I think it might be kind of unique, but we just have, I think, you two, um, the friends that Tara and I grew up with, that Disney was just such an animating part of our lives. It was something that mm-hmm. was so um, influential and kind of um, comforting. And even through high school, when we were just the biggest nerds you could imagine, and we would have sleepovers where we would watch Disney movies. And it was just, uh, you know, it has stuck with me um through my whole life that di- these uh classic disney movies especially have sort of punctuated my life in really interesting ways but the hunchback is interesting to me as i think about my history with it because it, it i guess maybe it's just the product of my age but i felt like i was sort of aging out of disney movies at a certain point i like i hit lion king i hit pocahontas and then I don't know that I even saw Hunchback in the theater. I think I might have like taken a hiatus from Disney movies and I didn't circle back to it for a while. And I kind of, I don't know why it didn't really stand out as something that was that interesting to me. And then I finally saw it some years later and I just couldn't believe I'd waited that long. Um, the story, the music, the music especially. Um, and I will get into this, I'm sure, but there are parts of Hunchback that... The story is kind of, in my view, unlike most other classic Disney movies. And um, I find those differences to be fascinating and uh, to sort of hear audience reaction to those differences. I I just find the movie to be just a gem in the Disney canon. Well, it's interesting you said you kind of fell off because I have been saying for many, many episodes that I fell off. I got too cool for Disney. Uh, before this and as we went through and I actually looked at what movies were around Pocahontas it was just Pocahontas I've seen this one in theaters like I mm-hmm. I know I said I like jumped off and jumped back on for Hercules but yeah. I just skipped Pocahontas I don't know why yeah mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. I started watching like scenes because I'm like I saw this in theaters yeah <laughs> I think it was another situation where I was with my high school girlfriend and she wanted to go see him mm-hmm. um, I say she mm-hmm. wanted to go see him I might have also been like you know, I grew up with uh, uh, as as almost all of us did with a good healthy dose of toxic masculinity. So I'm sure I was oh. like, you know, Francette wants to go see the the uh, the Hunchback. I'm just going because whatever. Instead, I'm like, oh, Disney movie. I think um, I missed out on that dose of toxic masculinity, but I think I, I, I was <laughs> probably at healthier some point. for it. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, 
I know. Well, and I can remember uh, very clearly, you know, John saying, circling back to it with the music. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this in Toy Story, but all of us around the piano. John plays piano. That's so, right. We, that's like how we singing God Help John, the Outcast, right, right. singing uh, Hellfire, which is like not like a great song to sing. Uh, yeah, we'll go like, into it. But like, <laughs> it's one of my favorite like villains. I like, mm-hmm. I like it as a villain song for many reasons. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, this is really dark. That's the thing I remember the most from this is there's a lot of like kind of iffy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I have some, I think we're going to get into that in this next section here because mm-hmm. we both have facts and history on the film itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as a synopsis, and I don't know, this is from IMBD. IMDb. No, I am. I never say <laughs> You it, are right. not dyslexic, but you're just dyslexic IMDb, about that. Just that. I don't know why. Uh, but so this is their synopsis. It's not great. Uh, but a deformed bell ringer must assert his independence from a vicious government minister in order to help his friend. Now, we are going to refer to her as a Romani dancer mm-hmm. have Roma. Roma's a another. Roma, excuse you can say me. Roma, you can say Romani. Um, they refer to her, we're just going to say it here once, as a gypsy dancer. I will say, Ryan will mention it as well in the documentaries, but I have a Disney art book of Hunchback, and it it that word is everywhere. So they, obviously, at in the 90s, it was not considered, I think it was considered a... It, what are we a derogatory I don't think term? it was consi- I mean it was it was I, just I the term was more used as just like a catch all for that I'm group of people. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. that group of people maybe didn't like to be called that but the greater public wasn't or yes. you know, Right. Yeah. No, Do you see I, what I'm saying? I, I, like, yeah. It. I. I think it's. It's. I think it's, it's been a term, used as a derogatory term that was just okay back then. Yeah, right? and I think it's a term that like wasn't okay, but the greater public yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, know yeah. it was. When I say okay. it was okay yeah. back then, I mean, f- f- like, I don't know what I mean, but I think you guys know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. and I feel like I clumsily tried to just explain it there, I, but I don't know. I, I like watching John kind of watch us stumble over our words. As a <laughs> well, communication I, I'm just gonna. Let, I'll it's let like, you all handle this. <laughs> Go right ahead. What do you want to say? <laughs> no, I know. It's like it's not ha- so easy, is it? I think c- civilians. It's yeah. funny too yeah. that that there's. I mean, I've listened. I think that, I can't remember which of your re- previous podcast episodes we listened to, but um, that I listened to where uh, this came up, and I'll remember which one it was. But um, it's interesting to think of Disney movies, at which obviously is the case, as mm-hmm. just another um, piece of art that was a product of its time. And um, certainly there are Disney movies, as we all now look back and know, that were a product of, you know, we've moved beyond some of the vernacular, some of the stereotypes, and we've progressed in a really positive way. But it's interesting even just to look back. I mean, Hunchback feels like, I guess I was in middle school or maybe I was in sixth grade when it came out. It was 96. 1996. Yeah. So I was like, it's not all that long ago, but still we we have to sort of make these adjustments as we review it. So to kind of uh, continue on, like after the synopsis, it was 1996. It got, Can I do the... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It got a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. And then you always do the top movies of that year. Yes. And I also remembered what I was going to say that we cut out all my stammering early. So we'll get to that in a sec. <laughs> um, but the top, the top movies of that year, I kind of want to do a little more than three for a reason here. Uh, we've got the top three were Independence Day, Twister, and Mission Impossible. That's another slice wow. of movies I love. Oh, well, then the next four are all Disney movies. <gasps> really? The Rock, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, of Notre Dame mm-hmm. 101 Dalmatians, the Glenn Close version. Oh. 
and Ransom, which I didn't realize was Disney. Interesting. Rans- Ransom. I Ransom with Ransom Mel Gibson? Ransom with Mel Gibson. Give me back my son! Oh <laughs> Sometimes I just do that. It makes gosh. me feel better. Wait, Ransom was a Disney son. movie? I was shocked it wasn't Touchstone. The same with The Rock. It might be that they're yeah. putting Touchstone under Disney I right here. I think that's what they're doing. We'll, I think we'll, they, we'll go into that later. They okay. might be Touchstone. When, we, when we've still. exhausted all of our Disney movies and we go to just our Touchstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. a big year uh, for movies. Yeah. yeah. So the thing I wanted to say earlier was this and Pocahontas are two odd choices, I think, for Disney. Like mm-hmm. Lion King was getting into kind of weird where it wasn't a fairy tale, but it was like... Like let's do let's do this story we've made up that's about animals like we've mm-hmm. done talking animal movies and then they go let's do a let's do a fairy tale version of a real person mm-hmm. and we talk and we, about we that extensively that. so we're, go we're to that episode talking about Pocahontas mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, they do a uh, they do a, a fairy tale version of what is a f- pretty dark story totally so. What I read... The Victor Hugo story done in like 18... Does it, do you have... 1831. 1831. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've got some information on that. But what I read about when you're saying it's weird, it's not that weird if you think of the origins of Disney. Walt Disney based a lot of the early movies on literary works. Mm. So they felt that they were going... They felt that Fair. this was considered a, a very big and important literary work. It's very dark. It's racist. There's a lot of like really intense yes. moments. And John, have you read the original story? Oh, long time ago, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. I was gonna, I've it, not. Yeah. It's oh, it's go ahead. it's yeah. interesting. It's um. I mean, just what you're saying. It's a it's very mature and dark. The I mean, there's frankly like a genocidal effort. There's a city uprising. Yeah. You know, and it's the you know the mix of religion and oppression. It's there's a lot. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I've just from what I've like gleaned from it because I, I haven't read it, but that's what I would say. It's not. I see where you're coming from with it, but I can also see what they were talking about it in the art book I have about how they want it to kind of get back to that, you know, that if Walt Disney was alive at this time, this would be a project he would be excited mm. about. I will say that's what every Disney I project know. is going to say. I like, know. Walt they would always, love this. Yes, no, yes. Walt wouldn't love it because they're unionized now. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, so I'll kind of go into, uh, oh, also I always talk about Oscars. This was nominated Mm. for best musical score, but Emma won that year. The movie Emma. Oh, interesting. I've never seen Emma. With Gwyneth Paltrow? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've not seen it. And the Arrow? Yes. Yeah, but that, that's That's what All I know, you now know everything I know about that movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but the original story was a French Gothic novel. We mentioned Victor Hugo. It was written in 1831 and Apparently, it was written during his own personal crisis of faith. And I think that when mm. you look at it through that lens, it kind of it makes a little bit of sense, some of this, the themes and the storylines. Uh, the original titer, title was um, Notre Dame de Paris, or probably de Paris. Again, mm. I'm going to butcher anything that's <laughs> French. Uh, and then it, eventually, it was changed to The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, it's said to be a key text in French literature, and it's been adapted to film over a dozen times, in addition to both television and stage adaptations as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the novel sought to preserve values of French culture in a time period of great change. Mm-hmm. And it also made the cathedral a national icon. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. It, you know, he was obsessed, from what I read, so the art book, too, with Disney, um, this one's a little bit different than the other ones I have, 
where they really just break it down like character by character and the cathedral is a character and i would agree with that that Mm -hmm. the cathedral is like a very strong character in the film Mm -hmm. but he was obsessed with that architecture and he was obsessed with like restoring that cathedral and and just yeah so there's a lot there i had read something is it is it right i think or you might need to fact check me on this but i think i had read something we don't that, fact check. Yeah, on this, so you're not expecting that <laughs> sort of perfect. Then you're gonna whether it's true or guess not, what? It's you're go- gonna yeah. keep it in. <laughs> um, I there. I think there. What this that he wrote this uh, riffing off what Tara's saying at a time when a lot of this Gothic architecture in France was either being modified, torn down for yes, you yeah. know new modern buildings, and I think they met, it's mentioned at some point that. This was a time when they had actually removed the stained glass from Notre Dame and replaced it with clear glass in order to let more sunlight in. And that Victor Hugo was a part of this community that was outraged at um, what they saw as this destruction of this critical part of French wow, culture. Um, and I, I think that's true again. But I, you uh, know, it's beautiful, so I'm not going to fact check it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it tracks, I will say, from what I read, <laughs> mm-hmm. as far as like how strongly he felt about preserving this gothic architecture so yeah it's super interesting so also in the story i'm going to talk about how the original story ends it's a bit shocking and dark so just wanted to prepare you for it Mm -hmm. uh spoiler i didn't prepare us for it and ryan was shocked (laughs) so now we're going to make a joke so uh, the the shock you're about to hear is going to act surprised yes it's it's acting here lion face lion face face. okay we're ready (laughs) so in the end uh frollo hands esmeralda over to the troops and he watches her hanging and laughs Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm really now. I'm making a joke of the very serious yeah. part. Mm-hmm. No, but, but it's it's really intense. Dark. And I'm gonna yeah. refer to Quasimodo as Quasi. I'm gonna just uh, oh. abbreviate his name probably throughout this. Uh, mm-hmm. But he call him Q if you want. I guess I can call him Q. Oh. He sees this. And that might he be like pushes. a QAnon situation. You might be like, oh, yeah. see, oh, I'm I'm, I'm so Q, I was thinking James Q Bond. like yeah, James Bond. Yeah. This is my political like, perspective is, being brought into play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, like, quasi. Quasi moto. This is, looks like an ordinary church bell, but when you press this button, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yes, uh, but so he sees him laugh, and so he pushes him from the height of the church. Yep. That's how Frollo dies, and he has a, a similar death from falling from a high height in this in the Disney. The film. very famous villain, Disney villain death. Yes, mm-hmm. falling from a great height. However. Mm-hmm. With nothing left to live for, he vanishes, quasi, Mm -hmm. and he's never seen again. And Mm -hmm. in the original, the skeleton of him is found many years later in the, um, I think it's the Charnel House. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, where they bury all the criminals, Yeah, 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 that's the the mass grave. And so they find his skeleton there, and it's implying that he sought out Esmeralda and just laid there next to her and just slowly died. Yes. And did I read, is this right, Tara, that at the end of that original part, when they try to pull the skeletons apart, uh, Quasimodo's skeleton disintegrates. Yes, it turns to dust. Which yes, is you like, are correct in that. so yeah, what can like, there be so a more I, tragic ending? I understand yes. what you're saying, Tara. <laughs> so do you now understand where I'm coming from, where I say this was a strange choice? <laughs> yeah, 
hundred percent. I a hundred percent. Like yes, Peter they, Pan was weird, but this was a different was, literary yeah, yeah. work. Yes, mm-hmm, I agree with mm-hmm. you. They they took a. a I, mean, I mean, you could be like Walt Disney loved literary work, so that's why this summer Disney's Angela's Ashes is coming to you. <laughs> oh my like, word! No, it doesn't yes, work. I understand. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I think they're both like strong points. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. do you did you want to mention something, Ryan? Or uh, I mean, no. I th- that's what I had. So okay. No. I always kind of find some interesting facts in history, and then I think we're going to go a little bit into each character because we both have some stuff on that. Nice. Uh, But one of the things that I found super interesting is the original three gargoyles were named Chansey, Loughton, I think, and Quinn, and they were after actors who played Quasi- in other <gasps> versions oh, I didn't of Hunchback. That. So cool. not the Disney version. So those are the original names. But Disney's legal department came in and rejected that and said, no, don't do that. So that's when they were changed to Victor and Hugo. And that makes sense. It's Victor Hugo. The <laughs> and guy Laverne. Wrote the book. And do you want to know... Yes. What Laverne came from? Do you know? What if I said no? Like I was like, no. No, but do you do you <laughs> yes. know where No, I don't. Okay, so they, it's not Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> but it is an but it is another kind of cultural reference. The director came up with Laverne after one of the Andrews sisters, which is my area of the world, a nineteen forties uh, singing group. They sang Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree, like with Bing Cross. Stop. Yeah. Tara is not old enough. Like when she said it's her version of the world, it's because she works with the oh, it's with el- elder, elder adults. <laughs> yes. So I know <laughs> not, I'm not married to a. Your listeners are like, how old some sort is of immortal. Tara? My yes, God. how old is she? But yes, yeah, so that was the inspiration, which I thought was fun. And Laverne's original voice was Cindy Lauper. Oh Did you my come across really? that? Like Goodness. that was her first choice? She had done some of it, and apparently they decided to go in a different direction, and she like. And there was someone else before Jason Alexander, and I forget who that was. But those two voices, wow. they were kind of reluctant to let go of the role. Listen, after I, and we'll post and this then, on the thing. But after the after seeing Jason Alexander host the making of, I could have done without him. He was like Hugo is the real star of this picture. And it was like all jokes. I was like, I just started skipping through stuff <laughs> after just after the, the Pocahontas one, which was probably not handled well, but was the like actual Native American voice of Pocahontas being like many years ago the settlement of Jamestown was brought blah, blah, blah. and then Jason Alexander was like hey it's me Jason Alexander <laughs> you know, your, your fourth that. favorite cast member from Seinfeld <laughs> <laughs> truly <laughs> wow that's crazy poor Cindy well we'll see you Cindy thanks for your work <laughs> yeah but share who the voice of Laverne is it is Mary Wicks who is you might remember as Sister Mary Lazarus in uh, Sister Act Sister <gasps> Act I don't think I knew that. Yes, yeah. also in uh, White Christmas. Yes, yeah, she's in White oh. Christmas as the the innkeeper, the busybody yes. in the innkeeper. Wait, in Sister Act, she's like the deaf choir director before Whoopi Goldberg yes. takes over the choir? Yes. Oh yes. my yes, yes, yes. lord. The one who's like, if you think you can do it, sister. Of course she is. How did I never make that connection before? Yeah. Wow. She also- I didn't either until I was watching the making of it. I was like, holy mm. cow. She also, sadly- passed mm-hmm. before the completion of recording oh. all of her lines so they have a voice double and they made it so you wouldn't really be able to tell what lines are hers and what aren't so this was mm-hmm. her last credited god what a legend what a legend yeah. i love her uh the other thing i've got here the latin chants in the film were adapted from actual gregorian chants that was just an interesting thing mm. that i have something across. i want to talk about do you guys remember you might be too young for this but like in the early to mid 90s there was this weird like 
the Gregorian chant CD that was like big. Do you guys remember this? No, but I took <laughs> no. a music history class, so we did a whole like Gregorian chant section, of, like chapter of like music history. But no, I have there no was idea a what you're CD. So I guess like <laughs> CDs are pretty are getting to the point where they're everyone's got CDs now. Like they're not really a new medium, but it's not <laughs> old hat yet. Mm-hmm. And it, I just remember everybody I knew. It was like in middle school for me, so it was probably elementary school for you guys had this Gregorian we were just old enough to start having our own CDs but we all had this Gregorian chant CD and I borrowed it from my friend PJ you remember PJ yeah and like played it in my car and just was like this is really like for maybe about 10 minutes just to be like this is interesting but I remember distinctively like pulling up next to someone like later (laughs) so I was in middle school it happened so this is later when I put it on or maybe my mom was driving I remember being in a car and having the window down have someone like looking at me very strangely because this Gregorian chant CD was that person was probably me Ryan that's that's very I thought I had weird CDs but that's very that's an interesting choice yeah that's you and Chris doing the Tibetan throat singing. <laughs> yeah, that's so the on like par Tibetan with that. Um, uh, it was just, I, 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 this CD made a ridiculous amount of money. Wow! Like hmm. I, you're gonna have to look that up and put it on the Facebook yes, page. Yes, I will. That's right. So going back to the gargoyles, here's an interesting fact: hmm. they're never called gargoyles in the movie, even though they're commonly known as such, because they're actually grotesques. They're not gargoyles. I love that. So. I, I did a little a little dive, not a super deep dive, but grotesques are statues of demons or monsters to scare away evil spirits. <sighs> so they're actually grotesques, whereas a true gargoyle is hollow and it's used as a spout for draining rainwater, which I never knew. I found that interesting. So it comes wow. from a French term meaning to gargle. So that's oh, where gargoyles. Stop it. Are you so, kidding me? I've learned more have. in yes. the first few minutes of this podcast episode <laughs> than in like we try, years. We try of to my educate uh, as, as much as possible here. Uh, that's well, so can, interesting. Can I jump in with just one more thing? I'm going to find yeah. the reference. But the name of the CD was called Chant. Uh, <laughs> it was by the Benedictine monks of Santo Domenico de, C- de Silos. And this was the cover. Maybe this will help. You can, it's available. Uh, for like to buy used on Amazon right now, but this was the cover. Oh my gosh! No, I've I can never see heard half of, of it. That. Yeah, there, there it is. Go. That's you heard it here, folks. Um, chant <laughs> the CD. Um, so it may, it may also be available on a cassette tape. We'll, we'll see. Because I'm also remembering <laughs> that I didn't borrow my friend PJ's version of this this thing. He had a parody version, which was people singing. Gregorian chant versions of like Nirvana and oh, Alanis wow. Morissette. Yeah. So I'm going to have to look that. Now I remember that it's like. Now you're going down like, the deep now dive. Now it's a entertain us, but it's all <laughs> oh, chanting. Oh my so, lord. Anyway, sorry. This is a weird tangent yeah. to go down. Uh, so I always like to do things to look out for, and then I think we can kind of maybe go into like each character a little bit here. But uh, one thing to look out for, and so we're really going to have to keep our eyes open for this. Apparently when Quasimodo sings out there, the camera pans over Paris and it zooms in on a street. Supposedly, you can see Belle walking and reading her book. <sighs> Love it. You can Ooh, see, yeah, so that's a, a crossover fun event. This next one is kind of sad. You can see Pumbaa being carried on a pole by oh, two no. people. So I, I don't like that <laughs> okay. one. Oh no. Uh, that's kind of funny, and then actually. yeah, and then another man in a gray blue hey, tunic. Hey, Tara, if it bothers you, just no worries. No, oh, no Kuna Matata. Oh, uh, <laughs> no. I have to go, actually. I have an appointment. I have to, I have to vacuum my room. I'll see you. 
and then the third thing to look out for, I guess this is all happening very close together, like one after the other, is a man in a gray blue tunic is shaking out a carpet. It's the carpet from yes. Aladdin. I love it. So oh, those are those are that. things to look out for. There's also a goofy holler. We track the goofy holler because it's in many of Disney films. Mm-hmm. After the soldiers fall from the rope, Quasimodo mm. pulls the rope and they fall. There's a goofy holler there. Uh-huh. So okay. I I figured I'd make it a little lighthearted before we kind of get into some mm-hmm. of uh, the darker points here. <laughs> uh, the other thing I thought I'd highlight here too is talking a little bit about the computer animation. So this is really cool. Yeah, this is in the making of, and it's definitely worth uh, suffering through Jason Alexander to get this part because it's because it's the next step up from the 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 wildebeest. Yes, I think. yeah. So I'll share my facts, and then you obviously chime in because you yeah, watched yeah. the making of, but. This movie is full of computer animation and CGI backgrounds. So all of the bells in mm. the film are 3D rendered. So that's something mm. to kind of look out oh, for cool. and pay attention to. Uh, in the song Out There, when he slides down, um, the flying buttress. That's correct. Mm-hmm. You got it. Thank you. Uh, that you appears worry about in your 3D. pronunciations. You're pretty good most the of the time. The flying booty. The flying booty. Yeah, flying, the flying beauty. Brutus. <laughs> uh, that appears 3D. Topsy-turvy during that scene, the confetti and the crowd of people are digital images. The crowd of people is a thing I saw because they had like six or seven different people. And then they, they you'd show them and they have these different models. So it's like big fat guy, skinny guy, uh, fat woman, skinny woman, like child, like all these different things. Mm-hmm. And then they would go, okay. Then they all had different clothes and the clothes are different colors. And then they had different masks and different like hats and must mm. so they, they do all that and it just like that's interesting they make a bunch of them and so there's a bunch of scenes where you have this like really animated and the guys in the background are kind of like ah, ah, and they're just like <laughs> moving their arms and I, I think the wildebeest scene is amazing i think that one looks in the really lion good. king yeah the lion king I'm, mm. I'm curious to see how this holds up because i haven't seen this in a long time yeah mm-hmm. um but this is around the same time they're doing that in like titanic and all mm-hmm. sorts of mm-hmm. stuff it's 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 just interesting to me. I didn't realize they did it so much in Disney movies at this time. Yeah. Oh, cool. Also in God Help the Outcasts, the reflection of the rose window, those images are computer rendered. Mm-hmm. So something else to kind oh, of look cool. out for. Okay. Yeah. And then when Quasi repels down to save Esmeralda, that's hand drawn animation with three D scenes. Mm-hmm. So that's the mixing both styles. So I thought that's cool because that's a very specific example and a very yeah. Also, an epic part film. of the novel, if I'm remembering, or the the original Victor Hugo book, is when he sort of repels down the cathedral and swings and tries to save Esmeralda. So that's interesting that they would pick that that scene to do that with. Yeah, to do both styles. It yeah. was really interesting the making of because they kept talking about like it was like they're like most people will say that we use computer animation too much. Like you clearly they're like reacting to the feedback from Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's like, yeah. he's like, but remember, this part is still hand animated. And it's like, there was a part of me that was like, yeah, keep computers out of Disney movies. And like, I still love a good hand animation. But like, you know, you look at Klaus or something now that has that, lo- that look, but it's still done with computers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Cla- Claus. Klaus? Klaus? Are you talking about Frozen? No, no, no. The uh, It's sure? not a Disney oh, movie. It's the, 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 the Hall- movie on Halloween. Netflix. I'm all over the place. The Christmas movie. <laughs> the Christmas saw, movie. I think like, it's. Cloud, it's, claws. It's, it's claws because it's Santa Claus. Yes. I whatever. Mm. The, cut this all out, Ryan. I, um, so, I, uh, I wish I could help with this. I'm not familiar. Um, but uh, yeah, I just remember being very much like get, you know, like computer animation is this and hand animation is this, and now it's like computer animation looks so good, like you don't even really go. Mm-hmm. I think some people still miss hand animation for certain things. The but, nostalgia yeah. of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so I think we'll start with Esmeralda because I know Ryan has uh, a bit of stuff he wants to s- oh, Yes, one more quick her. thing. Uh, Chant uh, peaked at number three on the oh Billboard 200 music chart and was certified <laughs> as double platinum. Stop meaning it. two million copies were sold in the United States. Oh two million gosh. American two citizens million. bought the CD Chant. Yes. Well, to talk about uh, that, I'll say that in the first 18 months of Victor Hugo's novel release, he sold 3,000 copies, which was a big oh, deal wow. in, in that time. So 1800s. We'll just kind of, That's called going viral can, in the in, 1800s. In the 1800s, you could not meet 2,000 people in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truly. Exactly. exactly. Huge deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted to talk about one thing about Esmeralda specifically, and then I'm going to let Ryan kind of dive mm-hmm. in from there. But Esmeralda's eyes are green. And so I kind of went down this little rabbit hole as to why. And supposedly in the Middle Ages, green eyes were considered to be a sign of magic, of evil, or witchcraft. So cool. Uh, But probably because they were rare would be my assumption is they're not Mm -hmm. as common. Uh, So is this something from the book she had green eyes? So I don't know if she had that. I don't know. I will. I will say that I. I don't know. This fact was just like a fact of the Disney film, like Mm -hmm. why they think she had green eyes. So I would have to go and try to look that up. Uh, However, then I started. They started talking about how a lot of the early Disney villains have green eyes. Can you name any Disney villain that has green eyes? Because I've got Scar. Does Scar Scar, have green eyes? Yes, Scar has green Mm. eyes. The evil queen from Snow, Snow White. White. She has green eyes. John, I'm, it's okay if you don't know. Ryan I'm, I'm, and I have seen yeah. these movies I'm, way. I'm recent, doing some way. very quick Googling here. So, <laughs> <laughs> How many more do I have? Uh, I've got one, two, three, four more. Okay. Not Gaston because he has blue eyes. He does, yes. Um, ha- Hades yeah. doesn't, right? He has like black or blue no, eyes. No, he has, yeah. Are we only talking about ones that came out before this one though? Uh, yes, all of these came out before this one. Ursula does or nope. doesn't? Yeah, because she's got darker eyes, green eyes. Maleficent. Maleficent, Maleficent has to. green eyes. Oh, there we go. Three more. What about? Is there anyone in Lady and the Tramp with or um? The not that I have. Cats? Okay. Yeah, no. Not Cruella. Uh, um, not Cruella. You can go back Captain further. Captain Hook doesn't. Nope. Gosh, who would Shere be? Our favorite is our princess that surprised us. Our princess that's a... What, think of the villain and the princess that surprised us. Oh, Lady Tremaine? Lady Tremaine has green eyes. The stepmother. And there's two more. I dressed as her for Halloween this year. Mad Madam Mim. Mad Madam Mim Mm. has green eyes. Mm -hmm. And the last one, the diamond. Oh, Madame Medusa. Yes, Madame Medusa. Mm, So, I'm sorry. This this is bad radio. Yes, but my hands coming up. This is 900 villains. If if only you all could see Ryan right now. Yeah, she's like drumming Uh, your fingers like Mr. Burns from Uh, Excellent. Yes, uh, but that list again is The Wicked Queen, Mad Madame Mims, The Stepmother, and Cinderella, uh, Lady Tremaine, Medusa, Maleficent, and Scar. I did not go past what we've done because I I thought it would be fun. I had as much fun doing that as I did. I don't know if it made for great radio i'm still i'm still trying to google if esmeralda has green eyes in the novel so we'll get back to oh you yes that. please yeah right. if you find that out i would love to know that uh so esmeralda you know even though she becomes this heroine she is this other i guess and i hate to say that but that's mm-hmm. in this film and in this context so that's why they gave her green eyes even though she's not a villain but she is portrayed as evil in Frollo's eyes. Yeah, so and isn't that, it's just went. like an immediate, it's just another part of this story, right? Where where 
it's just blatant stereotypical like but for not on the part of disney but on the part of frollo and others who see someone as other um because of like the stupidest reasons you know yeah and so yeah so that's why they gave her green eyes and the other thing i found out that was interesting this is a film we have not seen yet but it is on our list to see before we review it rapunzel has green eyes and so she kind of esmeralda and her break the trope of esmeralda has the portrayal of evil right so you can Mm -hmm. kind of say she's evil even though she's not with green eyes but rapunzel's Mm. the first princess to have green eyes Mm. Mm, that's interesting apparently in the novel esmeralda had black eyes Uh oh oh well they're (laughs) a much less evil yeah uh all right (laughs) take with that Um, thank you you for looking that up you're well i'm I'm here all day can i talk a little bit about the uh, portrayal of romani people in this in this movie the movie Mm -hmm. specifically um, one of the things that uh, I, I went through and I found some, you know, uh, uh, articles about it. I went to a couple of um, uh, Roma, people of Roma, Romani descent, like their thoughts on it and things like that. And these are some of the things I th- I found that were the most like prevalent complaints. I don't want to say complaints because that sounds like, <laughs> let me talk to your manager. I, like these are like legit concerns about yeah, the portrayal. Concerns of it. I think is, mm-hmm. is appropriate. Thank yeah. you. Um, Quasimodo is... In the movie, though not visually portrayed this way, but definitely in the book, is Romani himself. He is, the, you know, like he is, if you see in the beginning, I haven't seen this in a long time, so I can't remember. He is orphaned by two, by like Rom- well, Romani Well, Frollo. Frollo. Frollo wants to kill all of them. Right. And the archdeacon, I, the, the deacon, because that's the other thing we should say. Frollo is a judge in this, and he's mm-hmm. a... Oh, he's in, not he's a clergy. No. Okay. Well, this he's is one of the clergy in the book. This is like the uh, most I, interesting part of the Disneyfication of the movie to me that they take Frollo, who is the archdeacon in the novel, which means that the evil villain of the story is an archdeacon. And instead, in the Disney movie, they split that into two characters, which is the whole exposition at the beginning of the movie is almost necessary because you have to figure out why on earth is the villain of this movie raising this thing that he obviously on some level detests and wants to exterminate huh. uh, in this horribly racist, bigoted way. Um, but yeah, he, in the, and, and I will say in the Broadway musical, although the musical, I'm, I can't remember now if it actually made it to Broadway. I think it did. Um, they, they go back to the original and Frollo is an archdeacon and sort of in charge of the cathedral. Yeah. And they talk about, I know we're talking about, the Romani I'll people. let you two Catholics. So sorry. Go uh, <laughs> do they, some apologizing. They yes. do, Deep they apologies. Do talk about, they talk about how they didn't want to make somebody in the faith potentially be the villain. Yep. I so mean, they that... talk. Yeah, they talk about that, but they also talk about you know that they thought him being a judge that he potentially had more power but i think that that could be argued the other That's, way around yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so but yeah john i think you make a good point but now to go back to what you're saying ryan well so yeah the point is that the character visually is very much whitewashed in this mm. in this mm-hmm. film where he is definitely portrayed as a you know very caucasian individual and there's a lot of argument back and forth this because this is something i found out that i did not know um there apparently are many times when uh, Romani children or, or people can be born blonde hair, light skinned. And that was a big problem in these times because then people like government officials would come and take those children away and be like, well, this isn't your child. 
This clearly isn't your child. You've stolen oh, this child. My oh. God. So it was, a, it was a big issue going back then. Um, so it's not to say he couldn't have those features, but for all intents and purposes, for how they well, portrayed and it's, him. And, and like, again, to use a word we don't want to use very much, but like growing up, like I had a perception of, of, of the Jeep of, of gypsies and what that mm-hmm. meant. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know, it didn't, th- I don't want to say I didn't think of them as people, but it was more of a like, it, 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 to, to put it lightly like elves or dwarfs like they were a people i didn't deal like, with very yeah. much so to me they were they were almost fictional mm-hmm. yeah so there was that mm-hmm. portrayal and a lot of things that you know we they well, used to and say, i think in gypsies media. came and stole my children in the night you know you've heard that yeah, yeah. i think and it's from this because i think not to say there wasn't ever a romani kidnapper but for the most part there was a lot of perception that they were stealing children. Yeah, it was like a product of... Actually, their children. Yeah. They were actually their children in genetics. There was a... Like a recept- I don't know. I'll, I've got some articles that I'll post. But mm-hmm. it was apparently a, an issue of, of, the, mm-hmm. of the state community Ugh. taking wow. these children away. Yeah. Um, so so that was one thing they said was like, it seems like in this movie, the, the hero is immediately... You know, you look at how all the... Uh, Romani in the background are portrayed. It's like Esmeralda is beautiful and that's it. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is kind of drawn as caricatures, you know, and, and, and excessive features and that sort of thing. That's what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, another another thing they talked about that kind of really bothered one of the one of the people. I, one of the articles I read was there just wasn't a lot of like due diligence done to represent these people in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an, uh, an interview they said with I forgot the voice actor, but the voice actor who played Chop is it Chopin Chopin like the the Clopin? D- Hopin yeah Clopin it's with Clopin. a C is a, a yeah. C L not C H mm-hmm. Chopin is the uh, Clopin. conductor yeah so uh Clopin uh uh he that actor they said oh how'd you get that accent and he's like well they're just from all over Europe so I just made it up yeah, and it was like oh thanks for doing absolutely and I think that's kind of these are a misrepresented people and something that hasn't done a lot of study in it's like well and yeah and they're so misrepresented that people take that as fact and yes. they take that yeah. as and we kind of found that we a little bit that a with lot po- pocahontas yes with native people native people and they were and their stories and how they've been portrayed yeah. versus like the actuality and the truth kind of funny it funny in the least funny way that a movie that's partly based on the you know um prejudiced oppression and you know attempted extermination of this people also went to maybe marginal or no lengths to actually represent those people accurately i mean yeah uh, i think it's a lot of like it's more of an understanding of we don't like oppression than it mm -hmm. is like an actual study of the history that happened to those people both native 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 americans and the Romani people is it's like, Oh yeah, that sucks that people were mean to you, but like it's, it's, it's better than Frollo's doing or, or Ratcliffe or anything, but it's still like, you need to dive deeper and you need to really understand what happened. Well, and the other thing is, is what I will say with the art book is they really focused on, they spent like a lot, like usually the art books, I'm super pumped to read them. This one, I kind of glazed over a little bit because they spent a lot of time talking about like Victor Hugo's life and like his Mm. back and not to say that's not interesting but I think their efforts to do research was skewed in not you know what I mean they spent a lot of time diving into his novel as opposed to a still living culture his novel (laughs) and you know his book and all of these different things and so that was something too um I know you're also I don't know if you're going to talk about this but Quasimodo, I believe, is the age he's supposed to be in the book, and I want to say that's 20s, I want to mm. say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Esmeralda in the book, from what I read, I believe she's supposed to be 16. Disney aged her up. 
Wow. Yeah, so she's supposed to be younger in the novel. And Aged her up to Demi Moore. Yes, we to talk Demi about, Moore. Do so. we, and, and this is, we should get to the movie here in a little bit, but uh, I don't have a whole lot. Of, my, the thing I remember most about this movie is, and this might have been because a young Ryan was blossoming into manhood. Oh, but, um, blossoming. Like, she's, <laughs> she's overly sexualized, correct? So... Am I making that up or am I froloing her myself? No, mm. I think you <laughs> could Am I blaming her for my, my lustful I think feelings? You could, I think you could say that what I found that they did purposefully is in Hellfire, they animate her a little bit more sensually because that's where they, they wanted to contain that because that's what he's struggling with. So I did read that the way she's animated yeah. there... Um, is a, even a little bit more so than it is in the rest of the film. Yeah. The other thing I read was when she's dancing in the fire, the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association, mm-hmm. they insisted the animators make her clothing more well-defined because she seemed nude to them when they watched it. Oh, fascinating. So, Meanwhile, we got shirtless people in Fantasia. That's all I'm yeah, saying. well, that was, yeah. <laughs> if if so, they would have drawn her clothesless, uh, 1996 Ryan would have just exploded out of the seat. The, like so, a Tex Avery wolf. There's yeah. a little Frollo in everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the quote of the episode. Um, <laughs> the, the other things I have about Esmeralda, they designed her, the animators, uh, this is from the art book, to appear fully prepared to stand up to... Brutal, uh, pers- persecutory. Oh yeah, persecution. Pers- perse- it's persecution, but pre- use What's pers- the adjective they, for that? Persecutorial. Spe- yeah. mm, However, you'd is. say that they, Persecu- they use that. Persecu- they use that judgmental uh, or uh, that environment and the social condition she lives. So mm. they say they stressed on curves and rounded shapes to contrast with sharp angles. Mm. So I do. I do think that you're right. She feels a little, I think, especially when you compare her to the rest of the way yeah. the, the rest of the Romani people are portrayed, she does feel over-sexualized. The other thing is they talked a lot in the making of about how her outfits were a lot more like multiple draping uh, clothes. Yes. Like, I thought that was interesting. They talk about mm-hmm. that in the art book about how they coupled those sharp angles and the curves and the round stripes with the loose free-flowing colored garments to suggest a freedom and kind of you know that freedom that contrasts with the gothic pallor and the rigidity rigidity of the characters. Like yeah you so can sort of think of a, yeah how she's compared how she's like sort of portrayed when you think about comparing that to how Frollo is portrayed yes, he's in their very wardrobe. like straight very lines yeah very rigid um so they talk about that so yeah. i will say a lot of thought as always with disney when it comes to the animators and the animation of each specific character there was a lot of thought with concept art and i've got pictures i'll share like i usually do of some of the concept art on the facebook page but they really put a lot of thought into what that looked like and uh, how they wanted it to compare and contrast one another. Tony mm-hmm. Fusili is the uh, animator of Esmeralda in this. Just want oh, to put the, thank the, you. The, the artist in charge. Mm-hmm. 
so the other thing I wanted to mention is in the novel, Hugo's metaphorical interplay of light and shadows mm. is kind of throughout the novel. Hmm. They use that to inspire the effects department to create dramatic lighting and enhance emotions. Love so that. there are so many examples of this in the book and just really pay attention to that when you're watching the film because the way that they do shadows and the way that they do the light uh, is really interesting and it also I think provides some of the emotion mm-hmm. to the scenes as well. They also talk about how what they wanted to focus on is that every character in this film is an outcast in some way. Uh, Quasimodo, it's his looks for is it Phoebus? How do you say I his think name? It's Phoebus. Phoebus. Phoebus, yeah. Phoebus, he becomes a fugitive, so eventually he becomes an outcast. He like he joins do the what outcast. He's asked to do. Yeah, he's like an outcast by choice. Yes. Phoebus, the first Disney hero to have facial hair. Ooh, good fact. My uh, God. Esmeralda uh, is an outcast, uh, sings a song about it, um, talking about her people. Uh, and then they even say the, I'm going to say grotesques, but they refer to them as gargoyles because they were carved and discarded because they were imperfect. Mm, so they, they talk about that a little bit. So I thought that that was kind of interesting. Okay, so this is the quote I wanted to read from the art book. So the strongest appeal for the project claims Thomas Schumacher, executive vice president of feature animation, lay in its message. Schumacher asserts, our earlier movies say things like, it's okay to be you, but that usually meant it's okay to be you if you're a really handsome, winning, young street urchin, or you're a frightening, ill-tempered beast who in the end becomes handsome. So they're referring mm-hmm. to Latin movie the beast. This movie says, yeah, this movie says it's okay to be you if you're not necessarily normal in quotes or beautiful in quotes to the rest of the world, which I call a big step forward. Oh, that's great. I totally. So I I just wanted to, yeah, I wanted to talk about that because a lot of times we point out the imperfections with the film, but I also think it's important to talk about what their motivation was for the film, for the characters, for the story. So that seems like a very strong motivation and theme throughout the film. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of stuff to talk about the progression of Disney. Like we're at a very interesting point in Disney's progressionism, if that's a word, because like there's a lot of talk about like Disney is Disney likes to go like a gay character is in our movie, but like, you know, we're watching Schitt's Creek right now and there's a lot of like, we keep remarking how, how affectionate it is. they are and they how are, amazing how that is. Affectionate how physically Patrick affectionate because you don't see that. Yeah. Some characters are and also that they, you know, that in Schitt's Creek, for example, you know, there's one of our favorite characters is someone who you would meet and say, oh, that's, that's a gay guy. You know, I think sometimes, um, yes. I think it's much better now, but even like 10 years ago when we were starting to see LGBTQ characters portrayed in cinema or on TV, they were, you know, they were straight presenting handsome gays. Yes. Who, it was always shocking when you found out they were gay. Yes, it was. It was. It was the the lesson of like they could be anyone. Exactly. People. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. You, you exactly. never know who could be gay. Yeah. You uh-huh. could be gay. You are don't you, even know. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and I feel like, but like, yeah, like Disney. It's like. I remember when we watched the last Star Wars movie, and there's like one scene at the end where those two l- women kiss, and I was like. They hyped. They hyped that up like, as like such a big deal. I was like, "Give me a like." I was. Yeah. I mean, I still love. I still loved it because time. every little step is is another step forward. But yes, well, yeah, was, it, it had a lot of Agreed. hype. Had a lot of hype. Yeah. <laughs> I, the the future Taryn Ryan's podcast diaries, pr- uh, Princess Diaries, will look back at this time and be like, "It's not 
I still don't think it's a good place to be, but like it's a step it's on the ladder. It's moving to where forward. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally. Uh, so we didn't really talk about Frollo at all, and I know we'll dive into him with the villain ranking mm-hmm. and whatnot, but I did just want to share a tidbit or two. One more thing. One more thing. Uh, so Frollo is not about one thing. So when you think of a lot of villains, they, you know, they want power, they want gold, they want revenge. Like they're, they're very kind of one motivation, one Mm -hmm. strong motivation. He's multi-layered, truly sinister, and just like this really intense evil. So he's a very kind of in a class of his own, I think, as far as are concerned. I'm just fascinated by Frollo. I think, uh, I mean, you two are the experts, so you tell me how rare this is lovers, not experts lovers oh <laughs> yes we say that the yes, lovers yes, yes. the lovers of disney um so he's a villain who is without superpowers of any kind um he is a villain who instead of as you say tara having one sort of motivating you know whether it's vengeance whether it's you know to dethrone my brother or my nephew and become king whatever the sort of immediate concrete discernible goal is Frollo is in some ways a completely uh he's completely unsympathetic to me but there is this Mm -hmm. element of he's kind of a tragic villain like he's falling victim to his own decay his own internal struggle and all of the evil and the oppression that he perpetrates on paris and especially on our heroes is like this kind of grotesque inward looking kind of he's starting to Mm. rot or something or maybe he's always been rotting but it's really start he's almost becomes this just unstable um crazed villain that that I, I sort of look at him and I think, and which is, again, why I find there's some interesting things here about how Disney chose to not make him the head of a, of a religion, sort of someone who was sitting in that cathedral, uh, but rather sort of a judicial administrative person for the city. Um, but you look at him and you're like, what is his motivation? And of course, it's eradication. It's frankly kind of a light version of genocide. But um, it's really hard to discern what exactly causes this level of malevolence from him. Yeah, mm. no, I agree wholeheartedly. I think with this that. whole movie has a com- complexity. I, I, this is a, again, it's been a long time since I've seen this one. That maybe isn't, you know, why it maybe doesn't. It deserves to be. We'll, I'll have. A, this is my opinion, having not seen it in a while. Yeah, I think there's. It's going to be interesting to watch this and, and realize that it might have a complexity that maybe us as a theater going nation weren't ready for when it came out, mm. whether it's something that deserves to be in a Disney animated movie, like is, is another question. And obviously they don't handle certain things well, but this is one that I, I, from, if I, I, I think this is going to be one that I would like to see. You know, we talk about the ones that get remade into live action. Mm-hmm. Like this is one I'd like to see remade into live action because they could handle like, let's address that. Like, whereas it makes sense for uh Frollo to call, Romani what he calls them like the, the mm-hmm. people around them don't call them that mm-hmm. yeah so they mm-hmm. discuss that and we learn some stuff like we we, we pick up all these things and, and well yeah. and I think Disney did something so I also have a villain book and Quasimodo's in the villain book and I was like this is weird why is Quasimodo in the villain book and they mentioned because Quasimodo is portrayed as an evil henchman in a horror genre so, mm. so oh, I don't wow. think he should be. I don't. I still don't understand why he's in the villain. Book, I mean, but I, yeah, I think in the I, other genres, it's the the portrayal of disabled people. Yes, but I think making mm-hmm. a live action version of the film with him as the hero and like getting rid of that 
trope of like yeah do you know what i mean i think there's mm-hmm. a lot of room there that they could do something with that that's mm-hmm. kind of what i was saying with that one the other thing with the villain book um the supervising animator for frollo kathy Zelinsky. Mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm that's saying her last it. name uh, she, in quotes, said she was so tickled to be doing such an evil yes. person. It was the best villain I've worked on. She apparently mm. loved working on That's Interesting. Well, the other thing, too, about Frollo, maybe you're getting to this, or maybe we'll talk about this later, which is fine. Um, I don't know if this is true. Again, please, so someone fact, will fact check this, or mm. a listener will fact check this. Um, I think I read uh, this. I just Googled it. John <laughs> says, I don't know. It's called Four, <laughs> it's called four Pinocchios. Um, they're... <laughs> Uh, I think this may have been Roger Ebert's review I read of when the movie came out. Um, and he talks about, so I think about Frollo, right? And part of, you know, this is so, uh, in the movie, part of his downfall is his infatuation with Esmeralda. And of course that has its own kind of trope that the man is sort of brought down by their attraction to a woman. And he sort of blames her for that attraction. It's completely psychotic. Um, but this is also... The first movie, at least according, I think, to this review I read, where our two or two of our heroes fall in love with the same person, which Mm. inevitably is something that's going to lead to somebody being heartbroken, right? Quasimodo and Captain Phoebus both fall for Esmeralda, as does Frollo. She's at the center of this kind of (laughs) male-caused maelstrom and, like, storm, right? Um, but Frollo is the one who it just, who it destroys. And that's his own doing, obviously his own God, you know, psychosis. Um, but, but I'm not sure if there's any other Disney movie where our villain and multiple heroes are sort of all focused on a singular goal like that, like Esmeralda. Hmm. No, that's a good point. And the other thing too, is our hero Quasimodo in the end. He doesn't get the girl. Right? Yes, and, and, and so yet he's also sort of, a, that, yes. That's also yeah. a point where a lot of times, if there is a romantic interest with our heroine mm-hmm. or with our hero, they usually get they get yeah. the girl interest, right? So yeah, they speak. get the girl, they get like, the guy, quote unquote, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. They get and, that and, love interest. And so, as an audience, I think it'll be interesting to rewatch it and see how we feel at the end. But to to have Quasimodo not get that and yet still as an audience i think we're expected to still be rooting for him still be on his side and think okay there's something out there for you quasimodo which is of course very different than how the book ends um but uh, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well it's also the subject of the hunchback of notre, notre dame 2 oh boy which we haven't really gone into but now we will talk about for 30 minutes no no um do we want to start the movie is it time yeah i think it might be time Okay, guys, so we're going to take the VHS out of the clamshell and put it in the VCR. All right, see you on the other side, listeners. All right, listeners, we are back and we have some thoughts. So any general thoughts that you guys want to share first? Uh, I li- enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Like, I really, really, I'm like, oh, I really like this movie. Mm. Um, uh, the the cultural depictions aside. Yeah. Which I mm-hmm. think, again, since most of the, you know, it's, we, we've talked about that at the beginning. We've covered that. Um, I, I love the music a lot more. I don't know if it's as catchy, but like. It's beautiful. It's beautiful music. Yeah. It looks beautiful. Like, this one's one that I think I would 
I think coming into it, I thought, I don't know, this will be my second and last time watching it. Now I'm like, oh, I'd watch this again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I the thing that I kept coming back to watching it was, and I think the three of us, as we were watching it, kept kind of exclaiming or, um, you know, reacting at certain <laughs> moments that seemed, I mean, there were just some really adult um, it, not even always dark, but just adult moments. And I, I, I kept noticing things ranging from, you know, the role of the crowd, the mob or something, right? Mm-hmm. That, that they were at once a, a force for good who kind of accepted Quasimodo when they were told to, but then they also partook in some heinous, you know, harassment and torture when they were told to. And I don't know, there's something very adult about this, story about accepting who you are and being happy or proud of who you are whatever that sort of overall through line is but it's more adult than a lot of disney movies i think i i think that's something we should say up front if you're thinking Mm -hmm. of showing this to your kid if if you're hesitant to show this to the child wait three years whatever it is (laughs) yeah or just view it yourself i always think that's the best recommendation i know there's a lot of apps and things out there now where you can like really read about synopsis plots things like that but I definitely think this is one that you can't like just pop on. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a lot of a lot of language that we would normally uh, bleep from this, the uh, he double hockey sticks and things like oh, that. Yeah. A lot of talk of that. Well, yeah. but it's in context oh. of like heaven and yes. So. Should I refrain from my my typical profanity while on this? Oh, podcast? We, oh we, we we quack it quack out, with out with Donald Duck. Duck. Oh, good. oh, that's right. <laughs> I remember that now. Yes, yeah. thank you. Um, Reminding me. But yeah, it's so it. Oh, well, I guess I guess I didn't share my memories. I was going to go to how it opens, but the music is what I think transported me back. Oh, like the music yes. transported me and like got me thinking about high school and all of us singing these songs and being around the piano and yes. also just the emotion. Like the music is so emotional, both the score and each song for the characters that mm-hmm. you kind of get swept up in that. So I think I really enjoyed you that. You played piece this of stuff it. on piano, John. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's it's uh, let's just say Hellfire is not a song that was perhaps made for, you know, teenage John the Bombard to play on the piano. But we did it anyway. <laughs> and we shouted those lyrics um, throughout the auditorium. We well, it's more of yeah, I thought it's exactly. just a lot of chords. Like it seems like mo- so many parts. Oh, these, yeah. It's like chamber songs, music, really. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these yeah. songs are very like so many multi parts that it feels like. Like that's kind of it, it fills the room like a church choir mm-hmm. or an organ. Yes, yeah. exactly. They some of this, I think, with with an old organ they used. To, oh, interesting. To, to do some of the recording, like a hundred organ. Yeah, and that I'm sure you're about to get to this, Tara. But the opening, just the bells of Notre Dame, both the opening and the closing. And you know what? It's funny. I just thought of this, and I can't believe it because it's sort of is something that my friends and I watch with some frequency. But I just it just pops in my head. I will send you. Um, there's this unbelievable, uh, video on YouTube that is, um, I don't know or remember the name of the competition, but there's this, I don't know, famous acapella competition or something. But, uh, one of our sort of YouTube videos that's canon for my friends and I is, uh, this winning male acapella group from, I don't know where, uh, that sings a medley, basically like a 10 minute medley of Notre Dame. And they, you know, they open and end with the bells of Notre Dame. And it is just one of the most stunningly, it's just that piece of music, that score, um, Tara, that word is absolutely correct. It transports you. It just like, it, it moves the score itself moves the story along just as much as the lyrics and just as much as the dialogue. It's just a beautiful, beautiful score. 
Yeah, well, I, I agree. Want, I want to see this video now because I want to know if someone in the acapella group hits that note. Oh my gosh! Oh, that you're gonna hits. love it. Yeah, you're gonna love it. Because that every time he did, I was like, "Nah, he's it's, yeah." It's like watching uh, like a, a a daredevil stunt at a circus or something. Like he's not gonna do it. No, no. Yeah. no it's like bells off. No, it's exactly what it is. Like anytime he's yeah. gonna go down, he's gonna go down any second. No, no. It's like watching Correct. Cirque du Soleil. That's what yeah. it feels like. Uh, and that's, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's the song that it opens with. We see Walt Disney presents, and then it cuts to the castles in the cl- the castle in the clouds, oh. which is so breathtaking. A pretty long, mm-hmm. cold open, I think, for us. Yeah, until we see the title, mm-hmm. and it's pretty dark as well. So it starts out kind of lighthearted with Clopin. He's doing a puppet show, telling this story of mm-hmm. how it opens and the bells of Notre Dame. Can, can I, I'm sorry, can I come out the gate with a potentially hot take? Okay. Uh-oh. Here we go. Uh, Clopon can get. Whoa! He is the worst. Gonna have to crack that out, Ryan. He is the worst. He... Interesting. So, as a child, I liked him a lot as a character. I understand why you don't care for. We'll him say more. Why don't you care for him, Ryan? I think he incites the crowd. Yes. Against. Uh, I think he's doing what you're saying. He's inciting the crowd against. Uh, Quasimodo? Quasimodo at some point. I think he's part of it. I think he's the problem when they go to the 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 court of miracles, and then he comes out. Then he's like, "Yeah, oh, we were true. always friends." I and I'm giving him an Italian accent because his his accent is undefinable. It is terrible. He's definitely a wild card. You kind of you kind of don't know where he, he's not as reliable as Esmeralda. Yeah, he doesn't have Captain a side. He, yeah, he does like what yeah. benefits pick him. Pick a side, Clopin. Yeah. yeah, pick a side. But don't you think I and I think this is probably just a trait of. Um, or you will know better than I, Tara, potentially, but the, a characteristic of that kind of gothic chamber music is that opening is so kind of what it's not sinister or something, but there's like a really dark element to that whole piece of music until you get to the very end both times and it hits that major chord for the very first time. It's like the last yeah. note is the first major well, chord, but it's like pretty dark, I think. I would agree. And I think, again, so. Not only the music, I think the music does this, but the coloring, and I read that they did mm-hmm. that on purpose. Uh, you know, the colors change depending on Quasimodo's emotions as well. And this whole opening sequence is us finding out what happens to his parents yes. and how Frollo, you know, um, captures them and then chases the mother because he thinks she has stolen goods, but she has a baby. She has Quasimodo in her oh arms. And so she's trying to get to the church for sanctuary. And when he grabs her, she falls and oh. hits her head on within the like three of the minutes of the movie. Yeah, three she's minutes murdered. of the film, yeah. And they don't do it like what should have happened is there should have been like I've I've watched enough wrestling to see heads hit things. But yeah, like, I feel like there should have been that like you know dropping a watermelon like thunk. Like there should have been that because she hit it's the she hard hit, step. It's a she hard, hit hard. Yeah, and Tara fell down some stairs in Italy. She can tell you how oh hard gosh. European marble steps, steps are. Yeah, they hurt a lot. <laughs> um, but. She she just lays there at his feet and he immediately looks at a well when he sees it's a baby and sees a that monster. the baby is, yeah, in his words, a monster. And he goes over to the well to drop the baby. And that's when the archdeacon comes out mm-hmm. and Played is holding by... his mother, is yes. holding his dead mother, Quasimodo's <laughs> dead mother, and is like, you have to repent for this. Like, mm-hmm. you you have to care for this you child have to make now. amends, I, yeah. I yeah. will say I don't know what about, you murdered this woman, let's put you in charge of a baby. I know, yeah. <laughs> okay, but yeah, potentially not the most thought out thing. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I will also then, point out, and I, I don't know if this is 
well, I don't, I don't think I need to worry about spoiling a Broadway musical for anybody, but, um, the adaptation on stage has a completely different origin story for Quasimodo, which I don't even think is based in the Victor Hugo book, but in, in the Victor Hugo book, I don't know if you remember this, they have, um, Frollo has a brother growing up. They're both orphans. His name is Jeanne, I think. And the church raises him and that kind of is what gets Frollo involved in, in the Catholic church. But in the musical, they take that the step further and make it that they're sort of estranged for their entire adult lives. And then at the end of Jeanne's life, he reaches out to Frollo and says, I'm dying, you know, of whatever kind of mysterious disease or something he has. And he has this son and says he has nobody else. And when I die, it's over and he dies. And Frollo takes him in. So he's technically Quasimodo the musical is Frollo's family. He's his nephew. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like the book, the movie, that this Disney movie and the musical have three different origin stories for Quasimodo. I, I like that story better because I feel like making him the son of uh, uh, Roma people like should have come back. Like you're one of them or like, yes. And they never really mentioned. Yeah. It they again. never but connect it's very back obvious to that. that sort of like a just, loose end. Yeah. Yeah. They're caught yeah. up in, in his, his hate for these people, but mm-hmm. like, that's it. Yeah. And um, I was, going- oh. I was just going to say, I, I like this had more gasps and what the heck's from you. Than, I know. <laughs> the second only to return to Oz. Yes. I think was the most yeah. like, what am I watching? Yeah, no, and I they're just things I either didn't remember or they just hit you differently as an adult. Yes. Like mm-hmm. the mother in the first couple minutes, I, I did not remember that at all. Like, I feel like at first I was doing it kind of because I expected this one to be a little like darker, but then I was yeah. like, this really is No, like... it really is a dark, yeah. I, I remember the to... moment, oh no, I'm going to hold that because you're going to walk through the plot, right? Never mind. I, there's a particular oh. moment when, you know, in the cathedral that that we all yes. i think collectively gasped at <laughs> yes uh the to go back to clopin for a minute they mm-hmm. in the art book talk about him being the master of ceremonies and they compare him to the qualities by joel gray and cabaret or oh. jonathan Ooh, price in miss saigon so that's kind of how they that's very jonathan interesting price was in miss saigon i guess yeah like the actor that's they, or is that the character's name oh i feel like i should know is this, it price with a not. y P R Y C E. Oh, I did not know he was. You know yeah, that is? that's the 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 High Sparrow from Game of Thrones. Oh, I, I mean, I'm not as familiar when it comes to like who's oh. been in yes. musicals, He's but they, very- those are the two names that they name in the art book that they were trying to base Clopin off of. I think mm. after Frollo has this interaction with the Archdeacon, that's when it cuts back to Clopin with the puppets, and that's when we see the title. So it's after that whole very dark sequence that we then see the title. And he finishes the riddle that it's a story of who is the monster and who is the man. Yes. Yeah. So good. I remember when you asked me if I'd ever been to Paris and uh, if I'd ever been to Notre Dame while we were watching and I have something I remember when I was getting one of those, I think a guided tour around the outside of the cathedral grounds. They talk about, um, the cathedral in a couple of different ways that I think the movie, this movie adaptation is so successful. And I think part of it is the story because Victor Hugo obviously meant to, I don't know, use this as something to protect, you know, Gothic architecture, such as the cathedral. 
But I think the movie is so successful in this idea. I remember the tour guide sort of saying the cathedral is the heart was always the heart of the city, including, you know, way back in those times. And it's an ever present oversized part of the city so that, you you know, people would be walking around their town in, you know, Paris of a long time ago, and they would sort of round a corner and unexpectedly, there's the cathedral, you know what I mean? Like, it's just sort of an omnipresent, huge, bigger than life, and even bigger than this story, um, kind of piece of architecture. And the anecdote I remember specifically is that during the French Revolution, or one of the rebellions, they try that the revolutionaries tried to tear down the cathedral. And it was just impossible. They couldn't do it the best they could do was behead the sort of stone figures that align some walls of the cathedral. But they had ropes tied around the biggest parts of the structure trying to literally huh. pull it down, and they couldn't do it. That's how massive well, this like, thing is. I kept making the joke, at least in my head, of like Quasimodo, like the way it should be is him just running around tearing things. Do you ever watch a cartoon called The Tick? And he was like, Yes, really I remember The superhero. Tick. Uh-huh. When the tick would jump from building to building, he'd like smash through things and just leave this trail of destruction behind him. That's what I felt like Quasimodo should have been. It's just like, he's like, ha, ah, and he's swinging and he's like, oh, and just like pulling things off. And like, <laughs> That's oh, a little bit like... quasi. That's a little bit yeah. quasi. I love that though. Thank you for mentioning that. I had a note to go back to Paris, so I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. Ryan and I have not been. Oh, um, gotta go. And so did you feel that when you went to the cathedral? Did you feel like the presence of it? Oh, God. yeah. It's no, the, it's... not of God, but just, I mean, we felt that in Italy. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, some yeah. of the cathedrals we saw in Italy. And there's a scene when she first goes into the church and it's silent yeah. and you kind of hear singing in the distance. And it reminds mm. me of the cathedral we went to in Bologna. Yeah. And oh, like yeah. there's just something, whether you're religious or not, there's just yep. something about walking into a space like that. Well, I couldn't agree like, more. In those times or earlier, can you, I mean, like nowadays, like I can see really cool stuff on my phone and I've played video games and, yeah. you know, been on a roller coaster. But back then that had to be like the coolest thing you'd ever experienced. Oh, like, yeah. And you, one of those churches, it's just like. Totally. Yeah. You walk I mean into these. Feel the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are these moments you just see something that's man-made or human-made that. T- literally takes your breath away and it's like that yeah. what those people in that you know in the 1800s and victor hugo's time must have experienced walking into notre dame it just yeah. literally must have been breathtaking well now in the and we this is about the movie so i feel like i'm not on a big tangent but it, the, the notre dame looked like so much taller like like cartoonishly taller than it yeah. is it but i feel like i've heard that you know, now buildings get big like that, but like back then, that was that how big it was compared to everything else. Or is it's that just a- well, I think it's huge, but I I think obviously Disney was was sort of making a concerted right. effort to show not just its sort of oversized influence in the city and obviously the story, but you know, I I really got the sense watching it that in this retelling of the story the cathedral itself was bigger and more timeless than even this epic adventure that it had stood long before Quasimodo Mm. lived there. It's going to stand long after Quasimodo has now left the cathedral. It's just like a sort of semi-permanent part of this world. Mm, Okay. Yeah, and I know that they did, they spent some time in Paris, in France, the animators, like they usually do for these films. They go... Mm-hmm. And they spend some time um, to do different sketches and, and get references and things like that. And I know they also looked back. I don't know if 
it's Victor Hugo who actually sketched. I don't know if he did drawings in his book, or but they looked at drawings from that time as well, mm. and paintings and things like that. Very so cool. I think they incorporate it. They try to incorporate all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but we find out that today is the Festival of Fools, the Feast of Fools. They kind of refer to it as both. Mm. And, uh, you know, we get this scene to see how gentle Quasimodo is with the bird who wants to fly but yeah. is nervous. And, like, and right from there. I'm already crying. Yeah, I was already, already crying. I felt the same thing where he was like, yeah. I could fly. And then I love the bit where And it's where like, this is such a good day. Yeah, is... it's like if you were teaching a kid how to ride a bike and they don't realize you're not holding on to the back of the seat. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I fell in love with Quasimodo. Right yes. I know, they do such a good job of the moment we really meet him for the first time, you're like, oh, he's not a monster. Like, they just completely yeah, yeah, yeah. win our hearts immediately. Yeah, yeah, immediately. Yeah, you're on his side. I wrote here, I love La Laverne and all the birds around her. I forgot that they <laughs> always land on her. Uh, and yeah. that's just something I really like. My controversial quote unquote take with this is I feel like I, I, there were some elements of this movie that were too Disney to me. And I feel like if they had felt a little more confident in, in their darker material, they're like, we're going to release a PG animated movie about this. I mean, the, the Hugo and, and Victor and Hugo were... Hugo could have been out of the movie. Like he's like, ah, cut the cheese. Like I'm like, he has a lot of, of more like topical '90s jokes yeah, in there. He's, he's yeah. A, yeah, that make it a little less timeless. Genie. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that was the part that I was kind of like, get rid of this and like dive more into the complexity of these characters. Yeah, I really her. like Laverne, but she's got a couple of those jokes, yeah. I guess too. Her, hers were they. Yeah, not as topical. Yeah, they made it well, except for the Wizard of Oz one. But that's that topical so as in, like, The Wizard of Oz is from I, yes. 1939, so... <laughs> what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I did not laugh at a lot of their stuff, but I was like, it's yeah. a big juxtaposition against yes. how dark this movie goes. And spots. they wanted them to lighten it up, but I do agree with you that at some point, it's at sometimes it didn't feel appropriate. In the beginning, it's not so bad, but there are points later in the film where it's a little yeah. bit of a harsh contrast. Yeah, I And agreed. so they're... They're encouraging him, and they encourage him throughout this whole movie. They're pushing him to go to the festival. Like, what's you just sneak out one time? It's okay. Like, Frollo will never know you've been there. Just to say that you've done it, and he kind of just wants to experience life outside of the cathedral for one day, and then he'll go back to his life. Is kind of his opinion on it. And so then we meet Frollo. I mean, we've met him because we saw him in the beginning of the story. We get to see, how but we get to see how Quasimodo. he interacts with Quasimodo, and he demeans him from moment one. Like from yeah. moment one, he has what we call go away heat, and we'll explain that more He's to John. Have nuclear, because uh, it's in our villain rating. But he immediately is cruel to Quasimodo. Shows him no love. Shows him no kindness, and is just like. He's the kind of person that tears apart your self-esteem. Like, yep. it is the only reason why Quasimodo has any ounce of self-esteem is because he has the gargoyles, truly. Yes. Like, it's, yeah. it, and maybe any interactions with the Archdeacon, but we never actually see them interact with one another. So I don't know that he... Oh, yeah. The Archdeacon Once was... Once again, the church potentially complicit in the atrocities performed on <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so... Ooh, talk uh, about hot takes. Um, yeah, hot take. Yeah, no, he's manipulative AF. You know, he like yeah, knows exactly how to keep um, not just Quasimodo, but everybody under his thumb. Yeah. And even when he has lunch with him, remember, he's reviewing the alphabet and it's like oh, abomination uh. and then it keeps going and it gets worse. Yes. And he calls him master. We're about to get a, a, a curse word here that I may or may not goof. I may or may not quack out, but I, it's D. Damnation. E. 
eternal damage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, good night. Yeah. And then it gets to <sighs> F, and it should be forgiveness, festival, but yeah. he says festival because he's thinking about the festival. Yeah. And then he tells him his heartless mother abandoned you. So now we find out that he, like most Ugh. villains, uh, has spun Twisted, the story. Yeah. yeah. To what? It, I mean, it's very much to like Scar. Validate himself. Twisting. And, yeah. Twisting yep. the story on how you know Mufasa died. And, um, you know, just so like a you dictator. Have to, exactly. You have to stay in here. You're a monster. And then that's where we kind of we start hearing that song and then it turns into out there. So mm. it starts with him kind of singing and repeating the phrases like he's no good. He's a monster. He's all these things. And then he sings out there. And it's such a good song. Oh, like, even it's if just you don't watch, timeless. Yeah. yeah. If you don't want to watch the whole movie, just go YouTube just this. Just watch this and song listen to this song. There's no better. Yeah. There's just no better. You know, I'm sure you all have talked about in your other podcast episodes these, the sort of I want songs, you know, like yes. Ariel's part of your world, right? Like there's the hero often has these kind of moments, but there's just something eternal and timeless about Quasimodo's out there where like every one of us, you know, and you know, me having listened to that when I was like a little, little gay teenage John the Bombard, you know, it's just, it's just, <laughs> there's something so um, just, I don't know what in- inspiring, uh, beautiful. It's just timeless. Well, it's a lot about like not, you know, like this is a, this is a diminishing of the theme, but like, self or lack of self-confidence or this feeling that everyone's gonna i mean he's got a little more reason to believe they will actually turn on him but i think that's something that you know is communal or 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 global or you know something that we all deal with at some point well and wanting and wanting to go out like wanting to go out and explore or to like yeah, I, used- I think we all have that feeling of like being afraid to do something, but also feeling like we yeah, have to do if it. If only right? I could be normal enough. If only I could be somebody yeah. who would be the kind of person who could be accepted and do this. And talk about Quasimodo's courage in this story. He does that, gets thoroughly, you know, basically assaulted, harassed, and embarrassed, yeah. and then still has the guts to go back out there. Assaulted in a way that like, was hard was to watch. Was uncomfortable. We'll yeah. Yes, um, yes. Let's talk real quick about his design because I think he is one of the most interesting designed Disney-like heroes mm-hmm. because he's not, you know, he's not Phoebus. He's not yeah. conventionally good-looking. Not John Smith. My, yeah, he's not John my Smith. White, I know, I my, know you love. My white, bland piece of toast. <laughs> <laughs> you love John Smith. Um, but he's like... They did such a good job of beyond like they made he's he's extraordinarily like he's vulnerable his his he's got like one thing of teeth just there that looks very specific his arms like he's clearly someone very muscular he looks there's parts later where like when he's holding up Phoebus like and he's he's like you have to put me down now like I love that they portray him as not weak or or timid it's just. It's, his it's, personality is shy and timid, but like he's he has a, he's a wrestler. They he said that they like, wanted him to look like a like a wrestler. Totally, I I, I love it. Yeah, no, I like his and a lot of thought was put into his design as yes. well. Don't you think he has some? He has a lot of similarities to the Beast from the Disney Beauty and the Beast version. Like he's just sort of this hulking mass of something. The it's funny because Quasimodo's. Uh, you may think m- maybe that it was. Uh, where is this this thing I'm going to say? You may think it would be the Beast, but actually the designer was James Baxter, who worked on Belle. 
Oh. Really? Belle and Rafiki. Interesting. Wait, so, Belle, also... Rafiki, and Quasimodo. Fascinating. Yeah, those three. That's what he said. Um, I also have, going back to that, um, the guy from The New Yorker did some work on this, did illustrations. The guy it. from the... And uh, now I can't find... Hit Hertzfield, the guy, the Hertzfeld, yeah, uh, the no, guy who Pete worked... Yeah, no, Pete DeSteve was... Okay, so not the guy from No, but Aladdin. he did... Uh, a lot of thought into the design of Quasi and James Baxter. So they work together, I read. So as we go back to the, the film, we cut to Phoebus. And so this is where we meet him for the first time. And he's entering town and he observes Esmeralda. This is where we see her for the first time, too. And she's dancing uh, with her goat for money. And you hear, like, women throughout this film, they are not referred to as Romani or Roma or right. anything like that. And so... You know, you by hear the a, good guys and the bad yes, guys. Yes, and by themselves. They yes. refer to themselves as that as well. And so you hear a mother say, they're going to steal us blind. So already yeah. we've got this kind of stereotype from moment one is there. Uh, yeah. And then the guards kind of go after her and she gets away. And she gets away because he has his horse Achilles sit and heal Phoebus Achilles heel Phoebus's Phoebus horse Phoebus uh, on the guards Phoebus's uh, sidekick is Achilles the horse Esmeralda's sidekick is Jolly the the, the, goat. the goat who I just, I figure I figured out they have one set of earrings between of hooped earrings between them cuz <laughs> Jolly has one and Esmeralda and she has, has one, the other one yeah. the ear. uh so that's when they kind of meet for the first time and then the captain meets Frollo and when he's taken to meet Frollo, Frollo is improving on someone's torturing technique. And we find out they're torturing, he's torturing the last captain. Psycho. So that was so another moment psycho. I think I gasped. Yeah. Like you can uh, hear the sounds of the whips and then Frollo yes, that's gives how they him the open advice the scene. to wait yeah. between whipping so that it hurts more. So that the pain from the first one doesn't dull the sting of the next one. Yes, it's like terrible. this dude is disturbia. Like this dude yeah. is truly <laughs> disturbia. It's bad. So, you know, then the captain, he starts describing why the captain's there. And he goes, so you summoned me from war to take care of this group of individuals. Again, we're going to refer to them by different names throughout this. And he gives the example of like one or two bugs that are crawling on concrete. And he's like, like over like, crush, 20 crush, years, crush. I've, mm-hmm. I've, you know, tried to take care of this problem. But one by one. Yeah, <laughs> and smushes them. And then he lifts up this concrete block and there's like hundreds of ants. And he's like, but I believe that, you know, they have this underground area. For, mm-hmm. for the record, this is direct Nazi propaganda. Like they have this, this similarities have been used. Probably also mm-hmm. on the Romani since the since the Third Reich took like yeah they, that oh, was yeah. they were in there in part of the genocide. I bet this kind of yeah evil characterization. I bet that resurfaces time and again throughout yep. history. Yeah, and then he smashes it, and mm-hmm. and then Phoebus says I something about making the point of like you you visually made it. your yeah. point. I get it. <laughs> And so yeah. that's kind of how we see that. And then it goes into Topsy Turvy Day, the song. And Clopin sings the song. And this is when we find out that the Feast of Fools, the Festival of Fools, is all about. Uh, and I have one like quick blurb on how it was described when I look. I didn't do a huge deep dive. But it was a popular festival in the Middle Ages uh, because it basically 
was you would elect a false bishop or a false priest for the day. So the low and the high officials trade places. So that mm. was the whole idea behind it. And it was probably to keep the commoners happy, like give them something. That would be Pacification, my, mollification. Yeah, that would be yeah. my like like quick take on it without doing a lot of reading. And That's research. interesting that that was the point of that festival, though, because, and I wonder, I cannot remember for the life of me what happens in the Victor Hugo novel, but... In the Victor Hugo novel, as in some of the other adaptations, Frollo is the archdeacon or the archbishop of Notre Dame. He's in charge of the cathedral. So I wonder if the Festival of Fools was originally conceived in the story as one, uh, if Quasimodo won, did he get to change places with Frollo or something in the original story? Mm. Yeah, anyway, I'll, maybe. I'll figure that out. I'll research that. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we see here. And he, Quasi's getting thrown all around. It's very hectic and chaotic. It's anytime you've ever been to a festival. And because he's, he's kind of experiencing everything. And then Esmeralda, he kind of goes into her tent accidentally. And she thinks he's wearing a mask. And she's so nice to him. And then right as he leaves, she says, great mask. And he smiles. But, like, my heart sunk for him there. Yeah, uh, but, same. like, I think he's just so happy to be at the festival. And she was so kind to him. And then they nominate, we find out that the way that they're going to choose a king of fools is who makes the ugliest face. And so then they realize that it's not a mask that he's wearing. It is his face. But Clopin here turns the crowd around and says, this is what it's all about. And then the crowd is very positive. He turns it around later I, the other way, yeah. but he turns it around I here. I felt a little patronizing. He's like, we said we wanted the ugliest person. Here he is. Like, yeah. Like, Thanks, Clopin. Yeah. You're you're, you suck. <laughs> I took. I kind of will say I took Clopin there as being a little bit more of a of a helper. Um, no, I did too. But... I took He's him. The, the ruler, the I know Ryan's the got the hot take on it. I took him as a little bit more helpful there as well. And I wrote here. I we get to see. <laughs> we get to see Quasi experience joy and love and celebrating. Like oh, everyone's yeah. lifting him up. Like and that end scene where they end with the confetti and he's got the crown on his head and he's just smiling from ear to ear. Like it's such a joyful moment. And then the guards start throwing tomatoes at him. And at first it's just the guards, but then all the townspeople and everybody joins in and gets in on it. And then they throw ropes over him and they tie yeah, they him down. Him and tie him down. And, and Frollo that's... is watching it all happen and he's calling Ugh. out to him and saying, Master, basically help me. And Frollo's... And then Phoebus even says... Let me stop Stop this. this cruelty. Like actually says the world cruelty. And he goes, just in a moment, a lesson needs to be learned here. So it's very clear that Frollo is like, I told you not to go outside and now you're going to see what happens when you do go outside, essentially. And yep. it's Esmeralda who stands up and helps him. That's how uh, I feel about getting back from this pandemic is I'm going to go outside and that's what's going to happen to me. It's just <laughs> timed out. That's why I'm so nervous to leave the house. Oh. Uh, but Don't worry, at this Ryan. point, he, <laughs> Frollo says silence and she screams justice and John screamed preach. And it was I was like, like girl, well, preach. Yeah, this is so good. This is a big gift that gets used in a lot. Someone of just like, used it for yeah, us yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Facebook page, it, but it gets used for like in a lot of uh, like political posts and things like that. Yeah, yeah nothing says take my political side more more seriously than a <laughs> Disney gift. I know, but it was a powerful moment. I feel like when oh, you're yeah. watching the film, it is a well, very we, powerful Well, we, as, as an audience, we have just immediately, if we didn't already, we just effing love Esmeralda. Like, she is yes, just yeah. speaking truth to power. The only one, maybe besides Phoebus, but not really even Phoebus at this point, she's really the only one who is undeterred and, and not frightened of 
of this cruel power, you know, that's ruling Paris. Yeah, she's not afraid to stand up. And even when all the guards go around her and she's counting them, she's like, there's one, two, three, four, ten of you and one of me. And then, yeah. you know, so it's this whole chase sequence that happens here. And then we see, it's not exactly old man Jafar, but it's very it, close. No, like people say, like, this is J- the Jafar. Yeah, it looks like him. The voice sounds less like him than yeah. anything else. And he's in a cage. And then he goes, I'm free, I'm free. And then he gets in the, is it the shackles? The stockade. The stockade. And he goes, dang it. And then later on, he falls in a sewer after he gets a monsoor. So that happens way later on at the end. But the chase scene happens through the square. And we then see that Esmeralda kind of sneaks away and walks into the church. And that's where we get that really breathtaking, beautiful moment Um. in this quiet space and Phoebus sneaks up on her and they kind of have this fight but it's kind of flirtatious as well and you know they're they're kind of sussing each other out because she thinks he's there to to take her and Frollo comes in and he's like you need to take her and he's like you need to say sanctuary and she thinks he's tricking Phoebus is tricking her and then he just flat out says she said sanctuary I can't do anything to her and then that's when the archdeacon steps in and that's when we said the church in this rendition are the good guys here they're mm-hmm. protecting her which in the original that's not necessarily the yes. case since Frollo is the archdeacon did I mention that the archdeacon is voiced by David Ogden Steers who did uh Cogsworth. I don't think you have on the podcast. We talked about it when we watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, this is the moment where Frollo sniffs her hair. This was the moment where we all were like, "Oh, yeah!" yeah. I, and I did <laughs> and not. He says, remember "I'm this. imagining a rope around your neck, like, like around that your pretty beautiful neck." <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, it's good awful. lord, and it's like, where, where the heck did the archdeacon go? Like, someone get back in here yeah. and intervene in this horribly disgusting moment. This is some, it's some real incel stuff going on with Frollo. Yeah, here. and then after that happens, then the archdeacon is essentially like, maybe there's someone here who can help you. Like, <laughs> basically telling her, like, maybe. Like, go to God. He doesn't say that like, <laughs> yeah, that's what word I said. for word. I said Jesus Christ. You yes, said Jesus let Christ. Jesus into your heart. Well, yeah. and, and I'll say this. <laughs> I, you know, as somebody who both grew, grew up Catholic and is now not religious in, in any real sense of the word, I will say for a Disney movie to um, sort of tell this part of the story where she's, you know, it's basically a beautiful song and it's a beautiful prayer she's asking, right, on behalf of her people, on behalf of all outcasts. I, I do think they did a, a really good job of making her prayer a more universal, you know, sort of like appeal to a higher power, not to any particular religion or denomination. Obviously, we know what religion it is. We know where she is. Um, but there was something, and maybe this is very much my own subjective preference when I'm thinking about, you know, higher powers, but... It it I think it the movie does a great job of making any audience member almost feel a connection to her as somebody who is not calling on Jesus in particular or a Christian version of God in a so, but just some she just finds herself locked in this place that's dedicated to a higher power and she is calling for help from this higher power on behalf of people other than herself. And that's still something that I think makes us root for her. And hope that, you know, her prayer gets answered. And I think, yeah, for me, what resonated is the last line in the song, which is, I thought we were all the children. Yeah, I wrote down in my notes, she kind of challenges God a little bit in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like that a lot. And I think, you know. I don't know why I'm coming off so, like, 
antagonistic to, to the church today. Oh, no, that's fine. Uh, no, you, I, can, I, you I, can be antagonistic. When, basically, when there's a Methodist uh, villain in, in a future Disney movie, you guys can come after me. No, that's fine. I, I think <laughs> oh, with we me, will. because I, I will say, you know, I think we're all comfortable saying this. John already said this. Ryan and I, I are not religious. I, I consider myself spiritual, and if you want to have that conversation with me... Let's reach do me, it. What reach do you me offline. No. <laughs> uh, but what I will say is I like that line because I think lots of people, no matter what your background is, if you grew up religious or if you have a very strong sense of faith, I think you grapple with how faith challenges you if you're mm-hmm. not living a lifestyle yes. that's deemed quote unquote appropriate. You know, well said. and I, yeah. I know yep. John and I grew up Catholic, so I can, you know, sh- I know that, that experience, but I know there are many people that experience that with many different religions. And so that line like really called to me Um, in that way. A moment ago, you said, come at you if you want to talk about your spirituality. Just a reminder, it's 707-YO-TRPD-1. That's our hotline. If you want to call, leave a voice message. 707-YO-TRPD-1. I don't mean come at me, attack me, but if you're curious what I mean versus spirituality versus religious, I mean, I'm I'm not the only person to use that term, but... (laughs) Yeah, so I I don't know, but I do find I agree with you, John. I find this the song to be strong, and I think it can. It's a very inclusive song that I uh, think yes, that's a good word. Could for be it. used agree. in a lot of different ways depending on your background, who you are, and, and yeah, exactly, with it. yeah, exactly. And so after she sings that, Quasimodo kind of hears her singing this song and finds her, and she goes to find him. He runs away. He's kind of embarrassed for her to find him, and then that's when she sees. We didn't talk about this earlier, but he has wood carved. The entire town. So like he's Beetlejuice. Got, yeah, like Beetlejuice, but <laughs> oh in a God, sweeter way. But, uh, but, and I mean, I guess it starts out sweet in Beetlejuice because it's, what's his name? Who well, builds the town yeah, and Beetlejuice uh, takes over it. The I, ma- I think he's just doing it just because he likes doing things. I don't think there's any sweetness to it, but I don't think it's not sweet. Like he's just, it's, he's just a meticulous, he likes detail. I don't think he's doing it because he loves the town, whereas Quasimodo's oh, yes, doing it yes. to, Oh, yes, yes. I like, was confused at who you were talking yes, about. Quasimodo yes. does it because he can't be down there. And it's it's also it's going back to that, that like... It's a way that he feels like he's a part of the town. It's also going back, like, he's playing the part you were saying, John, of, like, the overlooking Notre, Notre Dame. Like, he's like, oh, I see the baker. She goes, oh, my gosh, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. And he was embarrassed because mm-hmm. they weren't painted yet. Yeah. And she immediately knew who they were by the way they were carved. Right. And yeah. then Jolly starts eating the sheep. Yeah, and then and all like, the sheep are gone. Jolly eats all the sheep and the sheep herder before he's done but uh love him so then he then he shows her the bells and they all have names and i love that i I thought the whole yeah and i love that whole scene very charming very yeah i think in the book quasimodo is deaf because of the bell ringing, I I just remember oh, that detail geez. when we were watching just that. Pile it on. I mean, like, that, I, I mean, it would make <laughs> sense that no human should be that close to bells. They really yeah, like totally. They just shouldn't, but... That'd be a funny like thing. It was like Quasimodo. I've come to what? Like he's just like what? He's <laughs> yeah. just that deaf. He's just hard of hearing. So the whole time that they're up there with the bells, uh, the grotesques, the gargoyles are trying to hear what they're saying, and. They say, what's he saying? Frollo has a long nose. You loved that joke. <laughs> I love any jokes that are like... Misunderstanding. Like, like yeah, misunderstanding what the... the, the like, you have, a pro- you have a problem with your hearing. Oh, I don't really... I'm not really into jewelry. What? I thought you yeah. said I wanted... I'd look good with an earring or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love those stupid jokes. 
So he winds up helping her climb down the cathedral because the guards are everywhere and she wants to get back to um, the Court of Miracles and she wants to take Quasimodo with her and he's not, after everything that happened with the crowd, he's not super comfortable. So this is when she gives him a talisman, kind of like a necklace. And she's basically like, you hold the city in the palm of your hand when you have this. And that plays into it later. We find out what that means. But then... uh, Let's talk about the guard who has the only French French accent. Check the alley. <laughs> Check the alley. Like, <laughs> is the, the one only, French accent we hear in the whole that, movie. And when Hugo is singing that song and compares him to a croissant, he says croissant. Other than that, that's like that's, it. So that's the it. Paris studio that once had done some work on Goofy on a Goofy movie, they did ten minutes of of uh, animation in this movie. Oh, I thought it was okay. Interesting. Um, one other little fact I want to throw in here since it's right above that one. Um, 72 that can't be right it's gotta be 7200 it's either 7200 or 72,000 pencils were used in this movie that's a big um, difference but uh, i would I'll, probably imagine it's the second one 2000 bags of potato and tortilla chips were consumed also <laughs> was another fact that was good that's, <laughs> that's very, funny yeah uh here i did want to make another note john you mentioned the musical adaptation earlier with the opening but we started talking about ryan was curious if the gargoyles were manifestations uh, like if they were in Quasimodo's mind or in, in this they were Disney Tyler film, Durden. they're more, they more appear magical almost uh, because like he can see them, but nobody else can. But then the goat sees them for like one minute. But I didn't know if you wanted to talk at all anymore about the adaptation of the musical or how they're used in that. Well, at yeah, all. I, and, and they're in the musical. I honestly can't remember if it's the same take as the Disney adaptation where they're, I think we're meant to believe they are magical because they interact with the goat. They also interact at some point when, you know, at the end at the siege of the cathedral. Um, but I can't remember if they're, I will just say to Ryan's earlier point, it would be interesting to see an adaptation. And I don't honestly remember if the musical does this where they take a slightly more, they embrace a little bit more of the dark and the adult yeah. themes here yeah. where, It'd be very interesting to see, you know, an adaptation that had the grotesques, but we come to learn they were fully in Quasimodo's head and they were sort of a, mm-hmm. an, a manifestation of a struggle that he was having internally that nobody else um, well, could interact with. I think you can also have them because it doesn't have to be a sign of any sort of like mental illness or anything. No, he's it could, alone he could legitimately, there. like, if someone's like, Who exactly. are you? He's like, I live here by myself. Sometimes yeah. I talk like. Listen, when Tara's gone away for the weekend, Lady gets an earful. Like that's all I'm saying. <laughs> and yeah. and and to have somebody who's raised by Frollo, like I mean, oh yeah. Gosh, yeah, you're gonna Seriously. have to have some mental coping mechanisms, you Be- know? Yeah. Because I don't think they bring him to any realizations he couldn't have gotten to himself. Like he kind of they kind of help his confidence and push mm-hmm. him to do stuff. But like I think you could. He was do- already feeling yeah, that yeah, way yeah. somewhat. They're not like revealing any information he doesn't know or anything. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And then. We go to Heaven's Light, which is such a beautiful song. And John oh. mentioned that he sang it in a voice lesson. Oh, I did. I could not <laughs> get the falsetto uh, exactly, but yeah. <laughs> so, and then it cuts to chanting in the church. And we see this stained glass. And then it cuts to Frollo and the transition between the two songs of Heaven's Light and Hellfire. And this burning desire turning me to sin. Actual quote, his burning desire for Esmeralda. Yeah, so this that is guy what he is, is truly struggling with. He is troubled. And Very visually 
beautiful scene though like with all oh, yeah. the yeah yeah you said it seemed very fantasia esque and mm-hmm. spot but there is the part where the the guard interrupts him to say something and you I were like did down. he hear him singing yeah he just knocks on the door in the <laughs> middle of this really intense moment in the song and he's like what does he even say something about they couldn't find esmeralda yeah she's escaped the cathedral yeah. yeah. Which felt like, knock, knock if you yeah. come in here. I didn't and, see you playing with your dolls again, sir. <laughs> and then he gives, the, he gives the kind of ultimatum, destroy her or let her be mine when he's like talking to. I Th- that was his, God, his prayer, his version his of the, prayer. his gross version of the prayer that uh, Esmeralda yeah. did. And of like, Heaven's Light. Yeah, the, yeah, like yeah. opposite of Heaven's Light. Yeah. Yes. I think they're presented on the same track in the album. They I think are. they are too. That's exactly yes, right. Yeah. And so then we cut to the next day, and Frollo looks hungover. His eyes are like red, and he just looks. We've like all he's been had a there, night. girl. We have well, all. Yeah. yeah, I had an I had a theory of what he'd been doing, but I don't oh, think it's appropriate no. for the podcast. It's not. This is a family friendly uh, podcast, right? Yeah, and he basically just says, "I had a little trouble with the fireplace." Well, that's also. Like, here's the thing. Let's imagine that you just sang a song and the fire came alive and then there were those big hooded judges. Would you go right to sleep? That's a good point. Yeah, good point. Good point. So he basically starts locking everyone up and he's bribing everyone with like 10 pieces of silver if they'll tell him where Esmeralda is and nobody will give in. Do they get to 30? I think they get to 20. Okay. I think he offers 20 and then he goes to the family with the windmill. Yes, that's right. That's right. And... Good lord. Then he instructs, he tells them they're under house arrest, and then he puts, like, a arrow or something through the door so they can't Spear. open the door. Spear yeah. through the door. And then instructs Phoebus to set it on fire, and then this is where he adamantly is like, no, I will not do this. And then Frollo sets the house on fire. Phoebus goes in, saves the kid, and then he is sentenced to death. And so they go to behead Phoebus, and Esmeralda throws a rock at Frollo's horse, which distracts the horse. Phoebus gets away, takes the horse, but then falls from a very fall height, high height into the water. Mm-hmm. And Esmeralda saves him. And I said later on in the film that I do like that each of the kind of heroic characters save one another. Yeah. Like yes, it's not agreed. always one character saving the other one. Like Esmeralda has now saved Quasimodo and Phoebus. Phoebus saves Esmeralda by claiming sanctuary Quasimodo gets her to the Court of Miracles. Like, there's a lot of intertwining, and it continues to happen throughout the film. So I do like that. Good teamwork. Yeah, very good teamwork. And then it cuts to Paris on fire. Yeah, he is gone. You just see all of Paris Paris. burning. He is making good on his earlier threat to burn down all of Paris if he can't burn her. And it's happening. And then it cuts to the gargoyles being upset about, because they haven't seen Esmeralda and the song A Guy Like You, which I will say it doesn't really fit yeah. with what's currently happening. I understand. And, and it they're... wasn't so good. Like, it, 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 everything else drove the plot or, like, gave us motivation. This was a offshoot that went, she really likes you. And then immediately it's like, no, she doesn't. And it was like, yeah. why do we have I almost this feel like song? if the song happened earlier in the film... Like after they had the conversation and he helps her escape, just, just yeah. cut it. Let's I agree. Some goofy yeah, stuff. I think they could have cut it or they could have put it earlier in the film, but it's kind of weirdly placed. They just wanted yeah. friend like me. I feel like a lot of this stuff that's so Disney and so specific is a bad attempt to capture yes. some magic. Stick with the formula. With yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, she winds up coming back late at night at the end of the song asking for help, but she's got Phoebus. Phoebus is hurt. He's basically passed out, and she keeps calling him my friend and is like, please take care of him, my friend. 
And then he overhears Phoebus wakes up and talks about, she's like, that arrow almost got your heart. And he's like, well... And there's like that moment where yeah. he, he lays it on thick and they kiss. And, and then John went and got a tub of uh, ice yeah, cream and started eating I it just, with a spoon. And was like, just, I'm single. I silently barfed into my bag next to me. It's like, um, but, and then they just then make out in front Quasimodo of him. Quasimodo basically silently sob. Which is such a heart, like, tears are streaming well, down has, his face. Yes, and he has, like, a mental song play, and he's like... Yeah. I uh, kind of feel like that was their, you know, God love it, it's a Disney movie, so you can't hate moments like that too much, but I, that was obviously, like, the first part of a two-part Quasimodo reacting to the two of them that are, I think, we're, we as an audience are meant to believe by the end that, you know, that was a journey. That was the start of Quasimodo's journey, yeah, watching the, the two of, the of them fall of him. in love. Yeah, accepting that they care for one another. Uh, I just and think, wanting her to be happy. I, I think, think it was weird they were making fun of Quasimodo. What happened to the dude that carried Phoebus in? He just kind of like disappeared for that scene. <laughs> that he shows oh. up later when they're like, you gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So then Frollo comes for Quasi and just wants to have lunch with him. And this is where he's very manipulative. And Quasi's so nervous and he's dropping things because Phoebus is under the table. He's hidden Phoebus. So mm-hmm. Phoebus is under the table and he basically blames Quasi for burning Paris. He's like, if you just gave her to me, this wouldn't be like you did all this, which is terrible. Uh, and so he winds up burning the figure he's carved of Esmeralda and says, we'll get her one way or another. I know where the hideout is and I'm planning to attack at dawn. He doesn't spoiler. He doesn't know where the hideout is, but he knows yeah. that Quasi will lead him to the hideout. Basically, I was just gonna say, talk about a, a typical manipulative tyrant that he finds a way to make his victims believe it is their fault for the horrible things he's perpetrated. Exactly. Yeah, and also just would that be is gaslighting the right term? As yes, far as that's like exactly the right term. Paris is burning, and you did all of this. Yeah, that and would that yeah, part. Yeah. yeah. Just like that whole piece too is just so ugly. And um, if you've ever interacted with somebody who does that, and I can say I have, um, it's it really does a number on you. So like the fact that Quasimodo is like standing and kind and sweet and helpful, like it it yeah, it's beyond manipulative. Yeah, it it takes it to another level. And so I wrote. Hold on one sec, John. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I just bit my lip. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, no. You've been doing that. And I was like, first I thought you were like getting something, like a little dab. And I was like, he's doing this a lot. Is he okay? I missed my face with my white claw and I bit my lip. <laughs> this is the danger. This is the day. You better keep this in the podcast. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so I like the scene with Quasi and Phoebus. I like yeah. that they kind Me of too. like. They're still butting heads here because they're fighting about like, because Phoebus is basically like, you're just going to stay here. She's your friend. Like, why won't you go out and help her? And he kind of pushes him to be like, you need to help her. Phoebus goes and then quasi like startles him because he swings down (laughs) and swings in. And then they have this argument about what the talisman means. And he's like, no, I'm up there. This is, this is the city. This is looking at the city from up high. I I think there's a lot of interaction. interaction Well, there's a lot of interpersonal relations. There's a lot of characters like that are main. It's, it's so instead of it just being good guy love interest uh bad guy now it's good guy love interest uh 
another you know there's a full love triangle yeah but everybody gets their time like each inner there's the phoebus storyline gets a good time to shine esmeralda phoebus gets good time quasimodo esmeralda you yeah know, everybody all gets of them time. get the three of I, them i, I kind of want to see them. more of the two I, I wanted to see a little bit more honestly i really had fun watching quasimodo and phoebus together it was like a buddy comedy a little bit Yes. Yeah. I loved every, I think I said this, but when he's holding him up and you, you're a tight shot and you don't realize, like, he's like, now put me down. And then it zooms out and Quasimodo has him, like, in the air. Yes, yeah. Like, that's I when love, he's looking for Esmeralda. I yeah. love all the scenes of Quasimodo being a physical threat. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. know, because they do a good job of, I think they do that in the horror movies where he's, like, a physical threat and an actual monster. And this one, it's like, he, you, you forget too the audience that he's super strong. Well, and, and like, even Frollo, because Frollo's belittled him, he doesn't see him as a threat until the very end. When yep, 100%. he has enough, when Quasimodo has enough confidence to be like, no, I am worth it. I am a good person. Like, yes. I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. And but he doesn't ever see him as a threat. I do say this is a Disney movie and it probably would never happen, but there's part of me that wanted him to pick the Frollo off up and like, and throw him, throw I him. Mean, you know, that's what happens. Darth, Darth Vader him off, you know, yeah. like, but throw that's him exactly, what happens in the in the yeah. book and in yeah. the even in the musical adaptation he picks it you know can i just spoil the musical a little bit for everybody yes, is that go okay right ahead. should i do that you just cut it if it's not okay but um at the end of the musical the grotesques which again i can't really remember if they're in his head or if they're magical in the musical at the end he quasimodo you know but esmeralda actually dies uh in the other adaptations and in the book so spoiler but anyway quasimodo picks up um Frollo and Frollo says to him you don't want to hurt me and in the background the grotesques say yes you do and he throws wow. him off the cathedral wow. and kills him and it's like wow yes. really yeah. oh yep yeah. mm-hmm. kind of dark kind of wow. dark <laughs> yeah so as they're looking for where the court of miracle is they're in this graveyard and then John says i love a graveyard i love a, I love graveyard, a graveyard moment, moment. Love a i graveyard love a graveyard moment, moment. great all the movies you see where they were like the mo- they're like let's go make out in the graveyard and i'm like who actually does that john <laughs> i have no i have no comment this is why i can't get a second date ryan <laughs> <laughs> so we go into the catacombs you need to find a nice grave diggers <laughs> that's exactly right uh, so we go into the catacombs and, you know, Phoebus is very suspicious because he's like, we should have been caught by now. Like yeah. something's going on here, like, the, the, or it's a trap. And then Clopin's revealed and he says, it's good news tonight. He, This is where Clopin gets <laughs> that was really... That a good joke. I did like that joke. <laughs> but he does get really dark here because now he's turned on them because he's like, I see you found our hideout, but you're not going to be staying very long because... We are the judge, jury, and executioner here, and you're you've been tried yes. essentially. Uh, and because he calls them Frollo spies, and I guess from Clopin's point of view, he doesn't necessarily know. Don't don't all side the with help. this guy. You he don't doesn't... need to. No, no one. Needs to <laughs> I'm just saying this he is... doesn't necessarily know yeah. all the help. Clopin doesn't really Esmeralda. take the time to get the information that may be no, required to make he a good reacts decision here. Too quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Esmeralda saves them again. Is basically like, no, no, they've been helping me. They're good people. Uh, and then when she thinks Phoebus. He goes, no, you really have to thank Quasimodo. Mm-hmm. So he gives Quasimodo this moment of being like, no, he's really the one who got us here and figured everything yeah. out. And then Trollo, 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 <laughs> Trap, Frollo is what I have in my notes. Trollo uh, shows up and is like, 
Quasimodo led led me here. So he's I, trying to get everyone to believe that like Quasi was in on it. I'm glad yes. that they didn't really push that part. Yeah, of it, nobody I hate really that believed movies. that. Nobody yeah. seemed to believe that. Totally. He just said it. Uh, and then it cuts to him setting Esmeralda on fire for witchcraft. So it then just cuts to her like <laughs> things basically have escalated being at the very quickly. Yes. Yeah. So she's sentenced to death, and then he looks at her and says, "You can choose me or the fire." And she basically spits in his face, and then he shouts to the crowd, she won't repent. I was like, well, you didn't really give her, like, I don't know that I'd call that repenting, like you or the fire. But yeah, so that happens. And then it cuts to Quasimodo chained up, which is another sad moment. So many chains. Uh. And again, where's the archdeacon in all of this? He was out front being like, hey, get off my lawn. Yeah, but like, go check on Quasimodo. And then he... Gets the strength. He sees what's happening to Esmeralda. He breaks the chain. She repels down and he saves her. And then I got teary and like cried when he when holds he her, holds up, her up in front of the san- stained sanctuary. glass. And says, and screams sanctuary. Yeah, it was a very emotional, very The animation moment. in that moment was part of that. That must have been one of their like kind of innovative for that time scenes. Because yeah. I just was struck by both that moment, the swelling music and the animation of that stained glass window was just truly still stunningly beautiful. Yeah, I'm interested because I haven't seen Tarzan to see how much of like him going around and swinging through vines. Like, there's any similarities mm. between this animation and that? I never really I thought bet about it. We'll have to, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's when I'm free. Falls in the sewer happens. I have that in my notes. Yeah, <laughs> the the old guy, old Jafar, old man Jafar, and oh. then this whole fight sequence where the guards go after the townspeople but the townspeople are fighting back it it was reminiscent to me of beauty and the beast it wasn't the exact same thing but when all the inanimate objects kind of fight the town and the mob it had a a little bit of a similar feel every moment in there and then that's when laverne sends all the birds fly my pretties (laughs) and you hear the wicked witch of the west theme in there totally Um, i mean it i mean it just i think that's yeah it played yes it's like a perfect yeah, it, moment. So weird yeah. and so perfect. And so basically the grotesques are all, you know, trying. They're like Hugo chews a bunch of rocks and spits them out like bullets. And so they're like trying to fight off the guards. Everyone's fighting off the guards. And then lava starts pouring out of the cathedral. So, well, yeah. yeah, he like has molten or boiling something. It's molten lead. Think I think it's got to be. Yeah, I think that's got to be. I'm not sure if he does it, but I think at the top of the cathedral, they must just have dry. And I I honestly, I think they explain this maybe a little bit more clearly in the musical adaptation. But yeah, I think it's molten lead for the bell creation. For the bells. Yeah, so that makes more sense. And but he it, just the fun. amount that comes out and the fact that it like it's yeah, pours, it's quite a volcano. Up pours no out of the cathedral yeah. and all over to the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then Frollo comes running. The archdeacon tries to, he like kind of tries to save him. He gets pushed out stop, of the way. Stop, stop. Yeah. And then as es- Esmeralda here, Ryan's like, wait. She doesn't die, does she? And John and I stay silent. Yeah, heaven. yeah. <laughs> mm, sit tight, <laughs> Ryan. She's not responding. Yeah, Quasimodo is trying to wake her up to say, "You need to see what's happening." Like all the people are coming together and rebelling yeah. and all this. And then that's when Frollo comes in with a knife behind his back. Gosh. And the shadows here and the knife and that the shadows give it away. Quasimodo looks up at the shadow and sees that he's about to stab him. And this mm-hmm. is when he fights back. Esmeralda wakes up at this time, and now they're out on a ledge. Ah. Uh, Quasimodo takes Esmeralda. They're out on a ledge. 
Frollo finds them and it's kind of this back and forth. And then this is when he shares, I killed your mother. In the same Scar thing where I'm like... Yes, very similar to what Scar does. And here's my little secret. (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) And so it does the opposite of what I think. I think the villains want it, say it to tear down the hero, but instead it gives the hero the like confidence and the power to be like, F you. (laughs) Tried and true, tried and true. Yeah. So Quasi... uh, Quasi's falling, Esmeralda's got him, and then Frollo's like on another gargoyle essentially right it's like this whole there's this whole thing where when he ends up he comes at esmeralda and with just like wild eyes wild like like, fiery eyes yeah and then the gargoyle he's on cracks and he starts to fall and then the gargoyle like Makes Comes a face at him, yeah, like it which I didn't know if it was just like artistic or something, or, or if it was like was they were the, all alive. Yeah, yeah, totally. I feel like that could be any version of like either. Yeah. I I don't know if as an audience we're or even if there's any intention there beyond like either the cathedral actually yeah. is somehow animate and is fighting back to defend, you know, to protect Quasimodo, or if it's just. Yeah, I think also part of this is where I mean Frollo is just gone and irredeemable yes. at this part, and he is just. I mean, that could just be in Frollo's mind that he saw that because he's just so effing crazy at this point. That's very true. Yeah, he's completely lost it. I want to know what made... Frollo's exit strategy is from this if he kills these people. <laughs> like, are you crazy? What, what do you think is going to happen to you if you kill? You just must be so far gone. He was so, yeah, crazed that I don't even know that that crossed his mind, but he falls from a very yeah. high height. We mm-hmm. see him fall pretty much all the way into until lava. Nothing. Yeah, into which, the lava. In which then it, the lava just disappears. Don't worry so much about the lava. Yeah, but <laughs> as Quasimodo falls, Esmeralda can't hold him, and Phoebus saves Quasimodo. Yeah. So again, everybody's uh. saving each other. Uh, and this is, we all were like, ah, friendship here. Uh, (laughs) but they do, they all save one another. And I do like that because we've noticed in other films where it's like one character is always saving the other and not vice versa. Uh, Esmeralda brings him out into the crowd because they're all cheering for Phoebus and Esmeralda. Obviously Quasimodo is very hesitant. He's in the shadows. He doesn't want to come out. And a little girl comes out of the crowd and kind of touches his face and then gives him a hug. And Ryan was very put off that she touched him. That's kind of a strange. It is kind of strange. It is a a strange. She could have just hugged him. Yeah. I'm going to do that when I see you again, John. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, I really look forward to that. (laughs) And then, uh, and then who was it? It might've been both of you who said the children shall lead the way. Yes. So it ends on the song it opened with, which is the Bells of Notre Dame, and it zooms out to the cityscape, and we kind of go through the clouds, and we see, as we said, the cathedral is, like, almost as tall as the clouds, the way that it kind of zooms out, and that's the end. So we did it. So we have our questions we ask at the end of everyone. Uh, We'll do this, and then we'll do the villains ranking. How was the princess? Which the princess, in this case, would be Quasimodo. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I loved him. I, I think I talked about the design of him and how uh, endearing he was. It was easy to, to feel on his side. I agree. I think we've gushed on him throughout the film, yeah. but I, I oh, yeah. really liked him a lot. I think he had such a gentle soul. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. Pure of heart. And as as I think, Tara, you talked about at the beginning of the episode, unusual to have a true, a truly startling physical... Um, depiction of our hero and yet from the very first moment we interact with him to the very last moment we interact with him we're rooting for him all the way yeah Yeah. and he's nothing but kind 
throughout. Yeah. Um, how is the princess or the prince in this case will be Esmeralda? Maybe also Phoebus. Yeah, I liked Esmeralda. I liked, she was very sassy. She had this spunk to oh, her that yeah. I really liked. And we talked about how she's the only one who's not afraid to stand up for her people, for herself, for others who are being mistreated. She stands up for Quasimodo when nobody else will. Yep. Oh, Esmeralda for president, like 2024. <laughs> like she is just true. She's the whole, she's the whole package. I think I expected, I think there were some scenes where you kind of got like the male gaze look at her. In a few well, cases. and I think they showed it like Phoebus when he first lays eyes on her. I it's love little... Phoebus's line where he's like, look at that display. And he's like, yes, sir. Like, yeah. I love yes, that. Like, I, but there's definitely something a little bit with the animation and it was intended because in the making of all they do is just talk about how hot she is. Like, Ew, yeah. that's uncomfortable. He's like, like, oh, that Esmeralda. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, But, like, I liked her a lot more than I thought I was going to because I was, like, kind of expecting it to be this kind of male-drawn version of of female beauty. And I think they did so much more with her than just that. And her facial expressions. I think the green eyes were a very good choice with the dark hair because you're immediately, like, Mm -hmm. connect it and you zone in on her. And don't you think... her hair was done. She's also got eye shadow. I think that does something with it. And don't you think Demi Moore did a great job? I just think it was it was understated and maybe not immediately noticeable, but I think Demi Moore did a great job of like this sort of gentle and yet firm when she had to be in strong um, vocal acting. I agree. Okay, Ryan oh, Ryan, Ryan disagrees. Like He's Demi not a Demi Ryan's Moore. gonna di- okay. Um, right, I'd well. like I'd like Demi less. <laughs> oh goodness. Anyway, uh, right. so if. Uh, uh, how are the sidekicks, henchmen? Um, I, I think we could have done without the gargoyles. I think they were okay, but I really think they pulled away from... I mean, I think they wanted it to feel like a Disney movie, and they wanted to get butts and seats, and that's how you do it in some cases in the, in 1996. Yeah. But I would love to see mm-hmm. this redone. Like, I would have liked to have seen the world we live in where it's like, hi, we're Disney, we're going to do a little bit of a darker thing, and it's not going to quite. It's not going to be for kids this age anymore. It's going to be for a little bit older. Yeah, and that's, again, you should, you guys should listen to the the musical adaptation. I know I keep harping on it, but the, I, I I do think they, that's sort of the, what I think the three of us, as we've been talking about it, might actually prefer, right? They take kind of the more adult, darker adaptation road of this and including with the grotesques. And I think it does, it just, it kind of better serves what is inherently kind of a dark, tragic story. Yeah. Um, Favorite musical number? This is going to be hard. You got to pick one and only one Ooh. and all the other ones we're going to throw away. No. I think uh, it's going to have to be really out hard. there for me. And me too. Is, I'm out is there. That, is that his I Want song? Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. I don't remember that song it's at so all. It's so powerful. This. It's so powerful yes. and it's so emotional. And as much as I loved Hellfire as a child, which is a weird statement to make now that I'm an adult <laughs> and I've like really, really like listened to We always words, said that about Tara growing up. We're like, Tara loves Hellfire. Loves she Hellfire. loves self-flagellation <laughs> over like lust. It's always been a fan of hers. Just... Uh, but I did really like that song and Heaven's Light is so beautiful. I think I liked the, the yeah. contrast between those two songs, mm. but... But can um, a runner-up also be Bells of Notre Dame? That is just yes. that has got to be one of the best Disney Bells openings of all time. Yes, and that note. So yeah. epic, so epic. No, it's hard for me to pick just one. I agree with you. Bells of Notre Dame is only another really one. good one. That's out, out there, out I there. think. I out there. on the record. Over. What's yeah, yours? Out there. Out, out there, too? Out there, yeah. Okay. I re- like, again, I don't remember the songs from this hardly at all. 
And then I saw in the, in the making of it, I'm like, oh, this song. Like, they showed clips from it. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I really like this. And then watching the thing in its entirety, I was like, this is great. Yeah. I think yeah. you guys are right. I think I read somewhere, and don't quote me, even though it's on the air. Uh, but I Literally, think... this, is a, this is a quotation <laughs> of what you're saying. Like, that is what we're putting out there in the world, is, is a record. <laughs> but I think I read that Alan Menken felt that that was the best. Like that was the best song he had written up to this point, and mm-hmm. I I would have to agree it was a very very good song. Um, how does it hold up? Uh, female character agency, I think was a lot better than I expected it to be. But you know, it's still hard in a in a movie where a central plot point is everyone loves her and she's the focus of the lust of the bad guy. I feel it's not and great. And there are I... not a lot of other strong women characters besides There's, her. Yeah. Uh, there, you could maybe count Laverne, but she's made of stone. <laughs> Laverne. So. Oh, I count Laverne. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, in that respect, but I do yeah, think I agree. She, she very much holds her own, but yeah. Drinking and smoking, like the, when she's in her disguise, which I love with the goats on her head. Yes. Uh, yeah. So she looks like an old man. He, they're smoking. Um, they talk about drinking beer at one point. Stuff but like it's that. not as heavy handed as some of the other films. Yeah. It's, you know, but there's a lot of other intense moments in this. Yeah, so. like that's the thing. We got guns and firearms, which I guess technically there's not. There's the part where he spits the the rocks like bullets. Ethnic representation. We have spoken to ethnic representation. Mm-hmm. I think we're we've got our bases yeah. covered there. Um, but but I think while this movie doesn't check those boxes, we don't want that to seem like it's great for kid young kids. Agreed. It, because it is darker, it's more complex. There's a lot more to deal with. Like you're gonna have more conversations with your kids. Watch mm-hmm. this. I think there's just intense scenes where, like, you're like, "Oh, as a kid, you would have been maybe not." Although understand I the remember theme, seeing but... it young, and I don't remember it hitting me. Yeah, the but same. you grew and up think... in Jersey. You saw a body get that's out of the river, right. Like, that's right. And Bayville, you should have seen it's what happened. What went down streets, in Bayville? The mean streets, streets of Bayville. The mean streets uh, of Sylvan Lake. <laughs> Um, so let's do the science guys. I'm going to explain the, uh, infallible scientific villain rating to John and we will be right back. Guys, we're back. Uh, John is now an expert in the, uh, I have gotten the boot camp training. Yes. So let's start. This one's going to be interesting. Cause I don't think I saw Frollo being as high as I think he will end up. And then after watching this movie, I was like, Oh dear. Yeah. But there's some categories um, where he is deficient, I think. Yes, agreed, agreed. But I think he will be, like I said, higher than I thought he would be because mm. I don't really think about yeah. Frollo much. Yeah, um, I wonder yeah. if some of it has to do with how much of a presence they have in the parks because I don't really know much about he's a Frollo. In, I, in the villain's book, I think they mentioned that he's potentially was in the Fantasmic show and he potentially is in something else that they do because I was surprised that Ratcliffe has a presence in in some Rat of those Club. in the parks, and I think Frollo does as well, which kind of surprised me. So let's start with Frightening. Uh, I'm thinking pretty high. I think he's a five. Do you think he's a five? I'm going to give him a five. I mean, okay, I'll, like, can I just caveat that? Obviously, villains that have the capability of turning themselves into like giant snakes or giant sea witches are deeply frightening, but there's something that is even more frightening to me about Frollo because he's just too real. It's too yeah. real. So I find That's him to what be a I was five. Say. Like he could be someone that we've met. Like, yes. He could be a version he of He could someone be someone who was a former president of the United States, perhaps. <laughs> so, <Stevens>. so. <laughs> he he has yeah, and the 
the power he has over the people, I think, is is frightening. Yes. Um, so I was going to give him a four, but I think the only reason why is because I'm like, there's got to be someone more frightening than Frollo, and I can't think of who it is. Yeah. So I'm giving him a five. He's getting mm-hmm. a five and frightening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, funny, however, he will be getting a one. Yeah. <laughs> he is, like, I usually try to find one thing funny about a bad guy. There is nothing funny there's about nothing Frollo. There's nothing funny about yeah. him. Yeah. He and does he not have a sense have of a humor. funny, like, quip moment you know like jafar's like very sarcastic he's got none of that yeah all. agreed so i agree with ones one. across the board yeah yeah fierce i mean this he's got a commanding present but he doesn't have that drag queen energy no i might give him like a two or three maybe I'm not thinking, a three I'm, I'm i'm thinking a three because i maybe a two what do you think i don't think he's very i I mean, he's got that cape situation, but like... I mean, I'm wondering, yeah, I wonder if I'm putting too much the on the hat. fact that he's flowy. But he doesn't the use it. The, the problem is, I think he has a good costume. He's wardrobed well, but he so does not know how to use it. You know That's what I mean? That's a good point. I'm going to say I'm gonna say two as well. Yeah, I'm on two. I don't think he's there. I'm between a one and a two. Well, guess what? You don't have to agree with us. Um, I mean, you have to, one. but that's one, fine. One, one, one. I'll give him a one. Yeah. Him a one. Okay. I'll do it. All right, effective. So his goal is to eradicate the Romani and then also get kill Esmeralda. Or keep her for or himself. Her. And I don't think he accomplishes any of that stuff, but he's still an effective villain in that he has a reign of terror he has over there. So I think giving him a two or a three would be okay. Yeah, yeah he definitely I- doesn't... His, his goals do not come to completion, but just the fact that those are his goals, too. Like, yeah. but like that is a lot well tell uh, me if i'm oh go ahead tara sorry What's no you go well i was okay. gonna ask and you tell me if i'm if i'm um analyzing this category correct you know the right way i agree with you that he institutes this reign of terror and has his impact is huge obviously yes. on the city and on the characters but effective at his goal i think he's a one because just like yeah. all petty disgusting tyrants like him he thinks he has a strategy but his strategy only fuels and continues to support and prop up that which he's trying to fight that's a very good point but i will say the only reason i don't want to give him a one is because to me a one is like a bumbling idiot and he's not that Okay, that's like, a good point. Yeah, that's so that's a good my point. only thing to give him a two, which I yeah, I, I gave him a two for me. Is I think he's he's effectively being evil, where there are enemies who are yeah. definitely like also they can't even accomplish that. That's yeah, true. that's true. That's yeah, true. I'll I would give him agree a two. With that. I'll give him a two. But yeah, at one okay. point, John, I think it was John who was like, or was it you, Ryan? Who was wondering what his exit strategy was? Going back <laughs> yeah, it's to, like, yeah, like, girl, where are you going? Was he going yeah. with this? What's the plan? But I do think Frollo. he was just so crazed that like yeah, none yeah, of yeah. that was even a thought at that point. But. Um, design, which is his look and his 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 voice acting and stuff like that. I love Tony J. I believe. Is the oh, actor. I love mm-hmm. the voice actor. Is the is the singing voice different? I love. No, his that's singing. I think that's that him. is him as well. I, I love how you could imitate that. It's so good. Because yeah. he was like a he was a stage actor. He's a he's he's was a, like a prolific like all over the place. Oh, actor okay, yeah, no, stuff. I absolutely loved him in yeah. that regard. Also, after reading the art book and how they made such a concerted effort to his coloring, 
the way he was drawn versus like Esmeralda versus mm-hmm. Quasimodo. I do like his design. I didn't think it was boring. I thought, yeah. you know, I thought there was some interest there. Uh, I love all the rings. I'm going to post a picture. <laughs> I shared it earlier with us here, but the Disney villain book has put a ring on it and some of the villains with the best rings. He's got, I think, more than most. He's got like three or four. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought there were some interesting moments with his design like whenever he takes his i'm sure there's a word other than hat for what he's wearing but his hat off like and it kind of diminishes him kind of and makes him more it kind of takes that top of his shape off and makes him more human and perhaps vulnerable and i thought i just thought it was a great it's not again it's not a giant sea witch like that's awesome Mm -hmm. in that regard but it was still a, a pretty stellar design i thought Well, and the more he unravels, right? He doesn't wear, again, hat, for lack of a better term. Once he's completely wild, that hat is no longer... I feel like that's him, like, very refined, very keeping it together. And that hat is gone. Like, he's not wearing it in the whole, like, last part of the movie when he's, like, at his crazy... I don't want to say crazy, but when he's as crazed. The other thing about how crazy he gets to the end I want to bring up is he's not like Gaston or Captain Hook where they're like, they look like feral out of control animals. Like he does a little bit for mm-hmm. himself, but he's still restrained. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I really like his, I'm between, I think a four, I'm going to give him a four. I'm kind of between a four and a five, but I don't know that he really hits a five for me, but I think there's a lot of really strong points with him. So I, I'm going to give him a four. I'm going to do the mm-hmm. same. I'm going to give him a four. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Go away, Heat. Oh, uh, my gosh. Five, like, 16. Like the, but he's, he's thousands, a five. From 1, the 000. first moment we see him, we see him murder someone, try to throw a baby in a well. I mean, like... Use he, a racial slur. Use a racial slur. <laughs> try to, like... Yeah, he's... No. There's... He's, I don't know what else he could have accomplished in a Disney movie to make us hate him more. Exactly. Yeah. Like... There are Truly. a lot of, there are other Disney villains that I feel like we've given, have we given a five go away heat to any other one? Yeah. I feel well, like. Well, like we, Donald Duck's libido oh, and things right. like that. We were like, get out of here. He will now be what I compare go away heat. Now that I know what a like very strong, intense yep. five is, yep. I think I will compare that the, going forward. The only villain I could think of who might have more go away heat for me is, and spoiler alert, Hans from Frozen. Because oh, well, like, I was when he does his turn, spoiler yeah. alert, I go, oh, like in the theater, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mad. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I got suckered as you well. Did. You yes. got suckered. I, I mean, I agree with it. I got suckered yeah. as well. Now, yes factor for me is a one because I was literally like, I don't, I mean, it may have gone up while I was watching it, but I didn't, I, you know, I didn't really want to see this character. It wasn't that I didn't like him. And I think maybe yeah. he deserves a two or something for me because I thought he was very interesting and I like yeah. didn't want him not to be on screen. But I was also like going into it, I was like, I don't remember I said I thought Frollo was going to be very low. Yeah. Like, I think I'm going to give him a two. But like, okay. I just because I had a little bit of like, this is interesting. But you guys don't have to do that. You guys can rate him higher because you like this movie more. Maybe you want to see him more. You can rate him a one. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm going to rate him at least one step higher. I, he's nowhere near the level of the villains that I... But, you know, right. there are these movies where I think you guys would agree you're almost rooting for the villain because the villain is just so bad <laughs> and awesome. But so obviously he doesn't rise to that level. I would give him a two or three, maybe a, if I can cheat and say a two and a half because. Nope, can't do half. Do you want a two okay, or three? Okay, I'm going to do three. I'm going to do three because okay. it's just, it was fascinating. 
I was very interested in the scenes where he's manipulating Quasimodo, where he's manipulating his guard. He did have this kind of, um, it was just interesting to watch that kind of maniacal skill that he had at, to use Tara's term, gaslight the people around him. Yeah, I think I'm going to give him a three as well. Ooh. I was in between a two and a three. But also I thought because you guys I, loved his, I loved his song as a child, like played the soundtrack and belted out Hellfire, which yeah. is crazy to think about. Tara, um, well, Tara loves Hellfire. We all know well, that. Well, Tara sure also used to, uh, used to admit to putting on like headphones and dancing around the house to songs. Always. Do, do, I was an only child. Do you think your child. parents ever saw you doing Hellfire and were like, oh no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was an only child. So a lot of times I would like, we had a whole like stereo system set up that my dad yeah. had. So I'd plug in headphones and just like dance and sing the stuff. But yeah, no, I, I, Again, I agree with John. He's not a villain. Like, he's not one that I normally yeah. think of. But he was very interesting think... to watch. And he, yeah. there were things I was excited about when I saw him. If that I agree. Sense. Not I as much. Say that. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. It's not as much as, again, Ursula's my favorite villain. And or Maleficent, even. It's like, yes. you know, you're. I find myself secretly rooting for villains sometimes. I didn't do that with him. But he still, he also wasn't, he didn't sink to the level of some villains that I just did not find interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ryan's tallying the score now. He is 21.3, which rates him as the 17th highest villain, right below uh, Lady Tremaine from Cinderella and I right above. I still think she's missed. Yes, we need to rate her a lot. And right above... Percival C. McLeach from Oh, from Rescuers. Rescuers. We have one more question we always ask, and I think I, I'm actually a little surprised at where my answer is going to be before we went into it. Um, would you? Is this the one you would add to your collection? You'd get a nice clamshell VHS, put it up on the shelf, or would you lock it away in the vault? And I think I get a. Are you? What do you think? You kind of have a. Look I'd like, get. I'd get it. I. I always have a hard time when there's like very negative depictions, but I do think that's a conversation that could be had. Yes. Um, but I just think the music is beautiful. The art is beautiful. It's really hard for me to say, no, I think I would add mm-hmm. this one to my collection. Agreed. What do you think, John? I a hundred percent agree. And I, I agree that there are, there are, there are certainly like a lot of these movies, things that need to be discussed, but there's just something that is irreplaceable about um, this sort of story of overcoming and acceptance and, you know, it's just, it's just, and the music is just too beautiful to not have in your collection, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for spending the good portion of uh, an afternoon <laughs> and evening yes. uh, with us. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. I, this has been a distinct honor. I've been waiting for it for years. <laughs> <laughs> um, we ask uh, our guests to plug something, whether it's uh, a personal project some piece of media you've been enjoying or the pandemic, maybe a political candidate. I don't know. Or just uh, <laughs> something you want to, if you just want to put a general sentiment out there in the world, uh, feel free to plug mm, away here. That's a great question. So I'm going to stay away from politics because I do that all day long and it's um, <laughs> exhausting. Um, but I will say, uh, you know, I listen to some uh, terrific podcasts. And I, uh, well, oh, should I do a podcast? Um, no, you know what? I'm going to go full nerd and return to what I was, what we were chatting about off <laughs> podcast. I was actually if, hoping amazing. you were going to do that. 
Yeah, so anyone out there who is a fan of hard science fiction, so by that I mean, you know, we used the example before of The Martian where it's a it's, you know, it's an epic adventure thriller story, but it is also based in based mostly in hard science and you know, you know, if scientists read it they say, yeah, that's exactly how that would work. Um, I just finished reading a true epic that a dear friend recommended to me. It's called Seven Eves, and it is a, a just true odyssey of sci-fi drama thriller, and it's sort of you know based on a sort of apocalyptic event that happens. Filled with, I sobbed during reading it. I laughed when I read it, and the ending is it's one of the rare odyssey sci-fi books that really pays off with the ending so i will say if you're if you've got you know two thousand pages that you want to kill uh worth of time reading i would read seven eves well awesome i think i'll probably be picking that up i don't know if i'm allowed to get any more books anytime soon i've got a big pile you have of to get rid of one before you get one <laughs> have to put, get rid of we ordered um, a lot of books during the pandemic so yeah thanks everyone for listening our next uh movie will be hercules uh with returning guest amanda so be sure to turn in for that turn in turn in for that i don't know what the voice that was be sure to tune in for that and uh we'll see you next time thanks for listening to tara and ryan's princess diaries if you want to tell us your favorite disney villain and why it's guest on send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com or you can send a tweet about how great maleficent is too at trp diaries Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after. (laughs) 